0: another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. All right we finished our well um, <laughs> we were just talking before we started rolling about how we're uh we're kind of proud of ourselves. We made it through Oscar month and we've watched all nine Best Picture nominees. First time in a few years that I've been able to do that.
1: This is the first time since 2005 that I've done that and I didn't watched all of those until a couple of years after.
0: And was that when there were only five nominees?
1: Yep. <laughs> the only other one that had more than five that I've seen all of the nominees for was 1939, and obviously I didn't see them all before the ceremony.
0: <laughs> yeah, so we've got a pretty big episode here because we have three films to talk about. Her, Dallas Buyers Club, and Captain Phillips. And, and then later after we're done talking about each of those, we'll go into each Category and what we think about our prediction about who's going to win, and maybe like our favorites, because those are you know kind of different.
1: Mine are different. Yeah, we could start off on a bit of a downer. Mm. In recent weeks, the streets of hell have been become very crowded, or well, I mean that's a horrible thing to say, but <laughs> a lot of people dying lately. We talked about Philip Seymour Hoffman. We talked about Shirley Temple Black. A couple days ago, um, the last of the Von Trapp children mm-hmm. died from sound and music. Well that sounding music was based on at the age of 99 and then today harold Ramis died at the age of 69 yeah that was like the first thing i saw when i woke up today and it's um i i haven't really talked to many people today since seeing it but at least two of them were like who once i said egon they were like oh and then i listed some of his credits i mean there's some big movies that he did. He wrote Animal oh, yeah. House. Yeah,
0: I mean when you when you consider his writing credits and his directing credits, yeah, and the films that he acted in. I mean,
1: even just like little he's big got parts part of some and things. Impressive and... filmography. Yeah, Groundhog Day hmm. and uh, Caddyshack and Meatballs, Back to School, which he he wrote. Analyze
0: this. Analyze that. Which I've never really seen, but
1: he directed I think like four or five episodes of The Office. Uh, which I think that might have been his last thing he did. Um, Um,
0: Did he do that terrible movie with Jack Black and Michael Cera?
1: That was the last film he had out in theaters, which was 2009.
0: And then the past few years... That's a downer to
1: He's, your film career with. Well, he did The Office after. Again, only four or five episodes, and I don't know how much say you have when you come in at the end of a series like that. Oh, yeah, and the, like the past few years, uh, there have been a lot of talks about Ghostbusters 3, mm-hmm. which I'm pretty sure won't happen now. It shouldn't happen now. No. And it's I don't know if they ever reconcile, but I know that for years, he and Bill Murray, who, you know, they came up together and... They did meatballs and Caddyshack Caddy and Ghostbusters and, and everything together. Day. Yeah. And they were not on speaking terms, and they weren't friends for a while. I I hope that they reconciled. I I actually
0: today. read um today in one of the articles about the whole thing um that he had been sick for a while now, okay. but hadn't really talked about it publicly. But friends and family knew. Yeah. And I guess within the last like couple weeks, at least, Bill Murray went to go see him.
1: All right, that's awesome. So.
0: And I, I don't know any other details about that, but, like, apparently they did have, like, some kind of face-to-face meeting.
1: It, it's weird to, like, I mean, I don't know those people, <laughs> but I, it was something, like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, I really hope Bill got over there. We
0: all like, and, you know, we all like a happy ending.
1: Had you seen year one? No. Me either, but I've I've heard... It's horrible. But yeah, I, I feel like I should watch it now, just because, like, just so I can be like, "Oh, it's this lost masterpiece." It's okay. He no, went out on no, that, no, but no. no, no. I, Last time we tried no. that, we
0: got Cutthroat Island. Yeah,
1: I'm maybe not... it's got some laughs in it. <laughs> I don't know. Harold Ramis month next month. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> no. I've never seen Meatballs or Caddyshack. Um, I hear great things about Caddyshack. Caddyshack, you know, my dad was like a big fan. A lot of dads are fans of yeah, Caddyshack. Yeah, it seems definitely. <laughs> it's
0: a um, dad movie. I mean, I watched it, you know, when I was younger, because um, he was like, "Oh, you haven't seen Caddyshack? Oh, we gotta watch Caddyshack." You know? And at the time when I was when I was younger, it's you know, I mean, some of the jokes kind of like fell flat for me. But I mean, Bill Murray was definitely great in it, and Chevy Chase. But yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that. That's that's one that I could probably have a greater appreciation for it now.
1: As I get older, I have a better appreciation of Roddy Dangerfield's humor. <laughs> We're approaching dad age. That's yeah. Why. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when I was a kid, like I thought he was funny, like in Back to School and stuff, um, and Ladybugs. But it was still like, oh, he just keeps having these one-liners. And they're not really funny. Mm-hmm. And then, hey,
0: I got no respect. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it still works. I'm laughing hysterically. Um, and then, like, I started like watching it stand up and like seeing different things. And it, it's it's almost like the fact that they're not really that funny is what's funny to an extent. I don't mm-hmm. know, but
0: but anyway, we've got we've got business to get to. Yeah. So, which film would you like to talk about first? Well, you just finished watching Captain Phillips, so do you want to talk about that while it's fresh on your mind? Sure now this is the movie that I've seen I saw this like months ago at this point this was the first one you this saw. this was the right? first one I saw it's be- the before the Oscar Noms were even announced like this was back in like November or something so forgive me if my memory is kind of rusty on it I've seen a lot of movies since then yeah um, so uh, what did you think of it
1: it was intense yeah It was, and I mean I knew the ending because mm-hmm. like you know it's based on a true story like so many of the movies this year
0: yeah so many of them <laughs> I think like
1: all of them, except for her gravity and gravity in Nebraska.
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: Well, like, so I I knew the ending. I, uh, I'd heard vaguely like the news story when it happened like five years ago. Mm -hmm. And then, um, it was used in a, in a textbook I was reading back in September as like an example of like uh, good leadership. Captain Phillips in the way that he like put the needs of his crew ahead of himself and right. the way that he kind of took charge of the situation, which I feel like the true story in the film are slightly different though. And I know the crew came forth after the film came out and said like, he's not like a hero. He was kind of a dick and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. like I, the, I, I think part of that was like a little backlash to uh, the crew was not portrayed in a very favorable light in the film. They're kind of like, Oh, <gasps> We got to do work? Yeah. We're on our coffee break. What the hell? And then, I don't know.
0: But the name of the movie is Captain Phillips.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, like, he, he's portrayed as I think, somewhat of a, a stern, like, disciplinarian in the movie. He's not, like, until shit goes down and he does what needs to be done, he is kind of, like, you know, like... doing by everything the by the book. yeah. 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 Which I mean, you kind of have to do when mm-hmm. people's lives are at stake, but but
0: at the same time, yeah. he's Tom Hanks. And yeah, it's hard to, uh, I don't know. He's such a, such a lovable guy.
1: How do you how do you feel about Tom Hanks as an actor?
0: I like him. I mean, I, yeah, I like him. He's so likable.
1: But like as an actor, like his acting is. What do you think of his acting skills and like his performances?
0: I mean, he's he's had some some great performances.
1: Okay. I feel like Turner and Hooch, uh, Big. You know, I I think that was his first Oscar nomination, wasn't it? For Big. Was he nominated for an Oscar? I think so. No shit, I didn't know that. Um, The
0: Money Pit, (laughs) Joe versus the volcano. I mean, his filmography. I watched Joe
1: versus the volcano for the first time at Amy's a few years ago. My friends Garrett and Colleen got married, and the reception was at Amy's, and we watched Joe versus the volcano. That is so weird yeah and i was shocked that i loved it it was it's like that,
0: that's one it's been a long time since i've seen that and i've only seen like it on tv i think
1: it's one of those films that just throws realism out the window and mm-hmm. embraces like the fantasy and like how unrealistic it is and i don't know i loved it
0: yeah. and splash and the burbs <laughs> <laughs> no i mean like I, you know i'm kind of joking about yeah. all of those early films of his but i mean i like a lot of those movies
1: I, he's he's an actor that I think a lot of people might uh, just take him for granted, because mm-hmm. like he's just he's good old reliable Tom Hanks. Yeah, and um, the two most recent films that I'd seen him in were uh, extremely loud, incredibly close, mm. which isn't a good movie. Yeah, but he's good in it. I mean, he not he's not a lot is asked of him in that film. Right, but. He's good. And you're like, yay, Tom Hanks. Mm -hmm. And um, Saving Mr. Banks, in which he plays Walt Disney. And it was an odd performance. It wasn't a bad performance, but it was like, well, I guess he's trying to do an impression of Walt Disney. But that's not how I remember Walt Disney ever sounding or anything. But it was a decent performance. Mm. And then I watched Captain Phillips. And I was like blown away. No, he's really he yeah, breaks he's, he's de- good. like the whole like ending when he's saved and everything. Oh like, yeah, exactly. everything leading up to that is great. But then like when he just like breaks down and yeah, when I he's mean spoilers the...
0: about you know I mean the movie, but I mean, we we spoil all the movies that we talk yeah, about. Yeah,
1: and again um, based on a true story. Based on true story.
0: But when the uh, when the snipers finally get all their shots, there's like the three people in the sub, oh, and they're all taken out, and like the blood splashes on his face, and he's like you know. Can't see what's going on. He's like, what happened? What was that? Like, yeah, that is uh, is amazing.
1: And he's such a um, for the majority of the film, he's so like internalized, and he's just like he is like a by the book captain. Mm-hmm. And um, like as things keep getting worse and worse, he sort of like starts to break, and you like he opens up a little bit, and then he just collapses at the end. I don't know. It's it's weird. I've been watching a lot of films lately. Probably because these these are films that tend to get nominations for actors. Uh, he's not nominated, though, is he? No, he's not. Which is odd. I I would replace Christian Bale with Tom Hanks.
0: Hmm. I mean, that category is definitely has some stiff competition. Yeah. This year, in particular.
1: But Christian Bale is the least stiff of of the five.
0: <laughs> yeah. Who else we got? It was um,
1: Matthew McConaughey. Matthew
0: McConaughey, Leonardo DiCaprio,
1: um, Bruce Stern, and. Uh, we Tell Ichio 4 oh right from yeah 12 Years of yeah. Slave
0: yeah those are all well deserved um,
1: but if I had to replace one yeah, of them again, with again, Rons, like it would be Christian Bale uh,
0: yeah again like American High School um, we talked about it last week but the more films I see and the more you really think about it like I don't know it doesn't really hold up as well against the others
1: because I've been watching the like, all the movies on uh, like TCM's 31 Days of Oscar I mentioned to you before we recorded last week that I'd seen Blake Edwards' Days of Wine and Roses with Mm -hmm. Jack Lemmon. And he's an actor that I've always admired. But in that film, he has this incredible breakdown scene where he's just like violently convulsing and I was like blown away by it. And then last night, or I've been awake since 10 o'clock last night. So either late last night or early this morning, I saw None But the Lonely Heart. Which was it's from 1944. It was Cary Grant trying to use his clout to get like a dramatic role because mm. he'd done a couple, but they still had like comic bits to it. And I don't think I've ever seen him break down in a movie because he's Cary yeah, he's, Grant. He's, he's, he's like, always he's cool-headed. He's, yeah, and like you know, even when you know, like he's like he's never, hanging off Mount Rushmore, getting he's shot really at, giving a lot like of that. emotional
0: kind of scenes.
2: Yeah. yeah,
1: and he wanted to show off, and so he did this film that was. uh... Written and directed by Clifford Odets, the playwright. I think it's the only film he ever directed. And he has this great dramatic scene where he uh, he just like loses his temper and just starts smashing shit, Hmm. and he just and like breaks down and stuff. And breakdown scenes—that's what that's where it's at. If you want to show off your metal as an actor, yeah, yeah. you gotta have a breakdown. And um, Tom Hanks didn't get a nomination for his breakdown. It was it was deserved though. No, like, he, I mean... and he I don't know, it was The out.
0: performances in Captain Phillips, I think, across the board were were very good. Especially who the uh the supporting actor who is nominated. Um and I don't know his name off the top of my head.
1: Is but, he the guy who plays Muse? Or not Muse, but it's spelled Muse. M U S E, right? Yeah, yeah, which was weird because that's my cat's name.
2: Ah, oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> like Muse, why are you acting like an asshole? Yeah. He's I mean he's fantastic and that nomination i think was well deserved
1: i think it's pronounced Barkad abdi Barkad abdi okay and he's up against bradley cooper for american hustle jonah hill for the wolf of wall street Hmm. michael fassbender for 12 years a slave Hmm. i think he should win over them but the other nominee jared leto for dallas buyers club i'd say it's between those two
2: i
0: don't know i think jonah hill has some real some real chance he he was good, but we'll get to that. We'll They're, get okay, to okay, the, the right. debate later. Right, but right. um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um,
1: I I'd never seen a, a Paul Greengrass film before. Have right, you? right. Um, and like it seems to be like I I remember I've always heard of his like style of his like sort of like documentary style like United ninety three and um he did all the Born films I guess which I've never yeah, seen never, any of them. I've never seen any of the Born films either. Um, but it definitely he's got that handheld thing.
0: Yeah. Which, I mean, for a film like this is perfectly suited. Yeah.
1: It was actually a bit jarring when it goes to, um, like, it'll be, like, tight and, like, close up with all the actors and handheld and everything. And then when it goes to, like, these majestic overhead shots of the ships, mm-hmm. it, it's 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 odd. Um, like, I almost wish that he had just, like, had a handheld camera, like, up there, too.
0: In like a helicopter and just yeah, like, like,
1: like to give it a little more um a little of bit. A more of that realism. Feel.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think um like you said, the movie is very intense, gripping, as some may say. But I I really felt it more so in the first half. I felt like there was more at stake.
1: When the when the little boats are not the little boats, but the skiffs are chasing. When the skiffs are chasing and, like, and once they finally hole.
0: board and, you know, you have the crew hiding down in, like, the engine room. Yeah. And they're doing this little dance trying to, like, you know, keep them secret and hidden and trying to, you know, trying to get the one up on them. And you don't know. And, like, I you know, I knew that this was based on a true story. Right. I knew that Captain Phillips survived. But, like, I didn't know if, if any of their crew members were, like, killed. Yeah, you neither know. did I. I didn't know, like, if, you know, they could have all been wiped out. And I wouldn't, I I didn't know, you know. So, I mean, there was, like, I felt like there was some real tension there because I'm like, I don't know if they're going to start opening fire on everybody. And like, are they going to start throwing people overboard or what, what, you know? So I thought that it was very, uh, engaging for that first half until they get onto the uh, little lifeboat. Mm. Then I think the movie really starts to drag. Cause we're in that little capsule for what feels like 45 minutes. And I just think like, it's a little too much, but yeah. I mean, how do you feel about that?
1: Um, I wish that there had been, and maybe there was, and I missed it, some sort of uh, establishing shot or shots where we, right off the bat, we got the layout of the lifeboat. Mm. Because once they were in there, I was like, Everything was a little tight. Wait, how big? Wait, there's several seats. Right, right. And they're numbered. Seat 15 mm-hmm. is where he was. And there's like a little hallway mm-hmm. where the, um, I want to say Belial. Like in Basket Case But it's like Bilal The guy with the glass in his foot, foot, foot yeah, The, the yeah. young kid mm-hmm. um, he's, he's hiding he, in the back He's like down head. a hallway or something right. almost And it's like how big is this thing And where are they all Like I, I never got the geography of it Well I mean eventually By the end of it I did But I liked how Like I agree with you That it was definitely more suspenseful Until they got on there um, Or before they got on there but I did like how it kept getting smaller and smaller. Like there, there's like this vast thing where like, okay, there's this boat is following us. And it kept getting closer and closer and like reducing the distance. And like then all of a sudden it's like, okay, they're on the ship.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we've got this whole ship. Right. And then that kept getting smaller and smaller as they got closer and like everyone came. And once they captured, <clears throat> captured the one guy, they all like came together. It's like, okay, now it's right. We're all right here on deck.
0: Mm-hmm. And then and then they got into the lifeboat. lifeboat.
1: And then it's like and it, uh, it's very similar to what, um, uh, Lucio Fulci, did in like a lot of his horror movies with with, like the, his like murder set pieces. They often would like start with like a big location, and they kept getting smaller and smaller. Like going into a room, and then going into a closet, and then going into a basement. Like. Mm. Uh, I I doubt that's where Paul Greengrass was like coming from in this. You no, know,
0: I've always been a Fulci fan. <laughs> no, but I mean like, it, I, and I agree with you. I think like that is uh, is is good, and I don't dislike the lifeboat setting. I just think like the pacing, the pacing sort off, yeah. of fell because I, somewhere in there, I I fell out of it. Hmm because like the the US government becomes aware or the the coast I don't know who uh, who was who finally tracked him down was it like the marines or something uh,
1: well they contacted um the navy british I don't I don't know <laughs> they contacted british people <laughs> and then the US navy showed up okay yeah
0: um but i feel yeah. like you know like once they became aware of the situation and like yeah sort of tracked them down i feel like it just um it should have all moved a little faster got to the end quicker
1: I wish there could have been more of um and like if, if the film wasn't interested in doing this then I really shouldn't fault it but like for me personally I, I would have liked there to have been more uh of a conversation of like why are they doing this like there's you know they need money they they don't have anything but like more like if there's like a couple really short opening scenes in Somalia where you see like the conditions but
0: right we get a little background of where they're coming from
1: but they didn't I don't know they they could have like played it up a little bit more they could have made it seem worse it just did what they showed wasn't like oh my god I can see why these people would Are like be pirates right. it just seemed like okay it's a small village mm-hmm
0: yeah i uh i agree i mean i felt um a little bit of that desperation
1: yeah there's i mean they're very they're clearly driven by desperation Mm -hmm. and like you you can like bring stuff to it like if you know like the political situation and everything like that but within the film like those specific characters those four pirates like you, you get to know them a little bit i mean there's like the main guy Muse. I'll say Muse, yeah. I, I, I doubt that's how they pronounced it.
0: I think that's what his that's character what they, is. I think his character is just called Muse.
1: Okay, because I just... in the subtitles kept saying Muse, so I just said Muse. Um, and there's Bilal, the young guy. And then there's, like, the psychopath, who, like, anytime anything happens, he's like, well, let's just shoot the fucker. Mm-hmm. And then there's, like, a fourth one who I don't... Was he the one driving the lifeboat, I think?
2: Yeah, or yeah. It,
1: and then I didn't... The, those two didn't really. Uh, I mean, when it gets to the point where there's five people in a lifeboat, and you really only know three of them, mm-hmm. maybe just have like something else with that. I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I just remember like while I was watching it, they reached a point where they're in the lifeboat. Where like I, you know, looked at the time. I'm like, how much more? How much longer is there in this movie? It seems like it should have been coming to, uh, to an end by now.
1: The scores not nominated. But I really enjoyed it. But it's it's not something that I could see. I mean, I I haven't listened to it on its own, but it seems like such a it's so connected to the movie, and it's such a big part of keeping the tension up. Mm-hmm. Like it, it really achieves that goal. Uh, I was very impressed by it. But it, I could see why it might not be nominated because it's.
0: You only nominate five films. Yeah. You know. Something has to fall by the side. I don't really remember the score. Um, I guess it didn't leave much of an impression on me. It's always uh, interesting to me when well-known actors and actresses are cast in very small bit parts,
1: like Catherine Keener.
0: Like Catherine Keener.
1: This is the first time I've watched a movie through Redbox. Ah, yes. And when I clicked on Captain Phillips, like a little description comes up. And it's like Captain Phillips starring Tom Hanks and Catherine Keener. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, was there like a female crew member? Nope. Yeah, no, she's just uh, right there She's the literally in like and... the
0: first maybe two minutes of the movie.
1: And she is in the end credits. It doesn't say like in order of appearance or anything, but she is billed above Muse. Yeah, she's billed above the hijackers. She's billed. She's Tom Hanks, Catherine Keener. I can't imagine them being like, oh, well, nobody's going to go see this movie if it's only Tom Hanks and a bunch of unknowns. We should get a star in there. Yeah, I mean... Catherine Keener is going to put some butts in seats.
0: How many people do you think (laughs) they drew to the theater because they had Catherine Keener in the movie?
1: Now, I have watched movies before because she was in them. She's how I got into uh, Nicole Holof's center. Um she she was in she's been in all of her films so far i haven't seen the most recent one uh, enough said but she's why i saw lovely and amazing which is the first one i saw and she's you know i like her and she's been in some really oh good yeah no, was, like
0: i've seen her in in stuff that's but w-
1: <laughs> and she she has her like little fan base or she did 10 years ago i remember she was like part of like in my mind i put her with like Philip Seymour Hoffman, mm-hmm. William H. Macy, John C. Riley, like these, like these, that group sort of mm-hmm. like, oh, here are these like indie actors who are in right. a lot of low films budget and, films. and yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's just, I, I don't know.
0: I mean, she probably had like, I mean, maybe two days of filming tops.
1: Yeah. And not because she had, like, a lot to do, but just because, like, they're in, like, two different locations. Yeah, there's one in a car
0: <laughs> and then one at the house. So, I figure, I mean, you could totally do that in one day. But, I mean, I just, you know, two days tops, I, would, I would guess. <clears throat> How much do you think she uh, she makes for an appearance like that?
1: Probably too much. I don't know. Yeah. More, more than More than we make for that much work. Which... <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, and she should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actress because this was really demanding, demanding work. I mean, I don't want to belittle, you know, what it takes to be an actor or a working actor or the work that goes into it. Because, you know, a lot of people might think that, you know, oh, actors have it easy and it's not real work, but that's that's really not true. You know, it's very physically and and emotionally taxing and filled with, you know, long hours and all kinds of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just as, like, I mean, she probably made... You know, more money than a lot of people make in a year, just for that one two minute appearance. It's
1: crazy. Uh, The film is up for six Oscars. We mentioned the best supporting actor and best picture. It's also got it's got two sound uh, nominations: one for sound editing and one for sound mixing. Hmm. Shit! What was the other one? Oh, and um, edit uh, editing. Editing. Huh. Which that makes sense because I mean, like when you're shooting. Like, I don't know how much of that was planned or, like, what his deal is, what he goes into it. Like, he does a lot of handheld. I don't know if he's like, okay, act the scene and I'll act like an actual documentary filmmaker and just... And try
0: to capture it and you do, like, multiple takes and try to get yeah. it different angles and stuff.
1: Um, But, like, when you're doing something where you're trying to build suspense, editing is very important. And, oh, yeah, Like, it's definitely. certainly... I was on the edge of my because seat. Because the, pa- <laughs> the
0: pacing of it is everything. Yeah. And that's why, like, I kind of fault the movie a lot because it kind of lost the tension for me. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's funny. It's not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination, but Hmm. as far as like all nine of the best picture nominees, like, I think it's probably my least favorite or the one that really like stuck with me the least.
1: It might be the one that I'm, I'd be least likely to watch again. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. The other nomination you said best screenplay. Yeah. It's best, uh, Original? Screenplay based on material previously produced slash published. Okay, so best it, adapted. Because Captain Phillips wrote a book. Oh, okay. With, so it's, uh, okay, gotcha. And the uh, screenwriter is Billy Ray. Cyrus? I guess. No, uh oh, just, he's really
0: branching out. Just plain old Billy Ray. That would explain the, uh, you know, achy-breaky heart scene, <laughs> which I was very confused about. But But anyway, you got anything else on Captain Phillips?
1: I like that Tom Hanks... Is a very successful actor (laughs) who, uh, you know, he's world famous. Everybody knows who Tom Hanks is. Everybody admires Tom Hanks.
0: I sense a butt coming. (laughs) Yeah, there it is. (laughs) But
1: in achieving that, he's not somebody who needs to have like a perfect physique. We see Tom Hanks nearly naked and he is, uh, for his age, he looks healthy, Mm -hmm. but it's not like other actors who are like in their fifties, like Brad Pitt, George Clooney, like he's just a regular guy. And that really has always been his appeal.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because you can you know, you project yourself on, onto the character that and the situation that he's in. I've heard Tom Hanks described as a uh, modern day Jimmy Stewart.
1: Um, to go along with George Clooney's Cary Grant.
0: Ah yeah, there you go. They Um, should
1: remake Philadelphia Story with that.
0: (laughs) Who would be uh, Catherine Hepburn? Who's the modern day Catherine Hepburn?
1: Well, Kate Blanchett did win an Oscar for playing Catherine Hepburn.
0: (laughs) There you go. Yeah, that sounds like a winner. I guess it it is like he does kind of have some of that Jimmy Stewart charisma and like ability and average Hmm. Joe kind of personality.
1: But yeah. So that was Captain Phillips. Yes, it was. Uh, Things are going to get sad. Let's talk about a sad movie. Dallas Buyers Club.
0: When did you see that? Did you see that uh, today or yesterday? Or today? I
1: watched it, I think, Wednesday. I watched it at my sister's apartment. I put it in, and she was like, oh, we got to watch a movie. Well, you know, I got stuff to do. I'll be in and out. And she just was... Sucked in. Yeah, she just yeah. sat on the couch the whole thing. She's She, like, I, I think she has, like, ADHD or something, because... I don't know. But um but this movie it just like got her. Riveting. Especially once I mean like she already like was aware that greatness was occurring before this moment, but the moment when Jordan Catalano enters. Like that who he he will always be Jordan Catalano to us. And he he comes in and it's like is he playing a woman? What? And like that jared leto in his oscar nominated role mm-hmm. as uh as rayon it's amazing and like not to take anything away from matthew mcconaughey because matthew mcconaughey is fucking amazing too yeah. but like i didn't expect that from jared leto mm-hmm. I, nothing i've seen him in prepared me for this
0: yeah i haven't really seen him in too much i mean i've seen requiem for a dream i haven't seen that and panic Amer- room
1: i haven't seen that i've seen american psycho He's an American psycho.
0: Man, I don't remember that.
1: And that was the first movie I'd seen. I think, yeah, that was the first movie I'd seen him in, and I was like, "Is that Jordan Catalano?" And somebody's like, what, yeah. "What
0: is this Jordan Catalano?" My
1: so-called life. He was Jordan Catalano.
0: My so-called life. Yeah, I don't know. He
1: that. was this gorgeous young man, and like I, did, all right, he, like I'm straight, but good. Fucking God, he was gorgeous in that show.
0: I never saw it
1: when I w- that was like, I don't know when I how old I was back then. But that was, you know, like if anything's going to make a young boy question his sexuality, <laughs> it's Jared Leto in my so-called life.
0: I mean, he definitely has some <laughs>
1: uh... fucking eyes. Yeah, I was just going to say the
0: I was going to eye- say he's got some pretty eyes. That's for sure. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> and I've seen him in uh, the uh, chapter twenty three. Or is it twenty three or, it's the one where he plays. Oh, I uh... think
1: of movie forty two. No,
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> the movie where he plays Mark David Chapman. Really? Yeah. And he like gained a whole bunch of weight.
1: I had no idea about that. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, I okay, get that. <laughs> that's like, that's um, I think it's,
0: it's called Chapter Twenty Three. It's or maybe Chapter Twenty Seven. Whichever. It's like, however many chapters there are in. Uh, uh, K- Catcher in the Rye.
1: Oh, that's right, yeah.
0: It's like the next chapter.
1: Okay. Is what the movie's called. I, I don't think I'd ever heard of that film.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, it's not a very great movie. He gained a lot of weight for that? That's yeah. Because he lost yeah, so he much lost for this. Not, yeah, not yeah. as much as... No, he's like, he's chubby and like really like, you know.
1: That's Matthew like McConaughey Killsbury lost 47 pounds for this. He weighed 135. He Just uh, by uh, serendipity. I um, I caught his episode of Inside the Actors Studio yesterday. Oh, yeah? It just happened to be on TV. It was like, there was an Amy Adams episode, which I saw the end of, and then I watched all of the Matthew McConaughey episode.
0: When was that uh, done? Was that like, <clears throat> uh, I'm
1: not sure a recent when, episode? It or? was after Dallas Buyers Club. Oh, okay. He didn't mention Wolf of Wall Street at all, but he... He is a very interesting person to see interviewed. James Lipton would ask him a question and like in order to answer it, he would have to, he would be like standing up. He'd be jumping around, like demonstrating all these things. And his whole like style of like preparation was interesting. He, uh, well, I mean, there's something like a lot of actors do, which is when they're looking for their character, they try and come up with like, like uh, a monologue like, they try to write something their character would say, like, outside of the actual script. And he was just doing these, like, riffs on different characters he'd done. And it was, like, beat poetry, almost. Like, he did this thing um, for the character he had played in Magic Mike, which I, I haven't seen. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen it. He's, like, a an MC at a male strip club. And he just, like, he was like, yeah, I just tried to get in the head of the character. And I was, like... Okay, it's like Barnum and Bailey, I got to get butts in seats, got to get their money, back pocket, and like all these different things. Like, I can't, he had just this amazing speed when he was describing it. Yeah, he was, he went, because it was his most recent thing, it was, he went kind of in depth on Dallas Buyers Club, and um, he was just talking about like the weight loss. uh, Did he still look,
0: did he still look really thin in his interview?
1: No, he'd gained some back in a very healthy way. Because, like, I
0: mean, I look at him in Dallas Buyers Club and I'm like, he's just going to fucking die.
1: Yeah. And, like, um, Jared Leto lost less weight than him, but that, he weighed less than him to begin with. I right, guess. right. But he said that Jared Leto stayed in character the whole time. And he said the first time that he met Jared Leto was when the director said, like, okay, that's a wrap for Jared Leto. Like, he had done his last scene and whatever. And then all of a sudden, like, Rayon went away. And he just, like, turned to Matthew McConaughey and was like, Hi, I'm Jared Leto. It's nice to finally meet you. And Matthew McConaughey's like, it's nice to finally meet you. Because the whole film, he had that voice. He wow. was dressing as a woman. And he just, he was Rayon. And, like, they never had any interaction that was not, like, those two characters talking.
0: Hmm. They had such amazing chemistry
1: together. Yeah. Well. And that's a fictional character.
0: Yeah, I read about that. Yeah,
1: which I, I didn't I didn't know until, like, after... Yeah, I looked like, into uh,
0: some of the the details about the real life story, mm. and there are some some pretty big sort of changes that yeah. they made just about his life, which dramatically I totally understand the reasoning for it.
1: Yeah, the ones I know about, I'm it makes sense. Yeah, I, I don't. I only the only ones I know of, though, I are from the Matthew McConaughey interview. So,
0: oh, okay, because I know that, like, um, for instance, uh, the real life person I forget is what the character's name is now, Ron Woodruff. Ron Woodruff, okay. Yeah, the real-life Ron Woodruff, he had children, which is kind of like a pretty big departure from from what we see in the movie.
1: There's even a dramatic scene where he's talking about he wished he had children.
0: Yeah, yeah. They also say that uh, in real life, people who knew him say that he was, in fact, bisexual. And uh, the the sort of overt anti-homosexual attitude that he has in the movie, Mm. I don't think was as... uh, apparent in real life I don't think it was it was played up in the movie
1: which I think really worked in the movie which yeah I the, totally
0: I think like for the film it really creates this character who I don't know it was such a much more interesting character
1: like just to start out as like this like so, homophobic redneck such a hateful person yeah and to end up as like first of all you know being like a savior to so many people who like, the majority of whom were gay, mm-hmm. and then also to just have this great relationship, yeah, a true, with, like, a true friendship, man. yeah, and like there are moments throughout where you think like, oh, maybe he's gonna like end up with Rayon or mm-hmm. something, and they're gonna like fall in love, but no, they're just it's just there's a homosexual man and a heterosexual man, and it is love, but it's friendship, yeah, and it's 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 beautiful
0: absolutely and i i think that it's one of the things that i loved so much about the movie was just the transformation the character goes through from the very beginning
2: mm.
0: like in those first couple scenes you know <laughs> even be- like you know when he like finds when he gets the diagnosis and like all the the person that person and i didn't know what the story was at all you know or what to expect from the movie later on i didn't know that he like who the real person was or anything about the story but just imagining him like flying to like Tokyo to try to get secure these <laughs> like drugs, you know, it just was like you never imagined that guy in any foreign country at all because he was just such like a small person. And like the scope of his world was so small, you know, his worldview was just yeah. like this one kind of thing.
1: When, when I as I was like going into it, all I knew was... Well, I use the term new loosely um, Mm -hmm. because it it was about Matthew McConaughey played a guy who was diagnosed with AIDS and he and his boyfriend, Jared Leto, had to raise money (laughs) to survive. That's how it was like described.
0: That was like the pitch.
1: Like I heard like somewhere I saw a picture of Jared Leto like as Rayon. And, like, there was a caption or something saying, like, oh, he plays Matthew McConaughey's boyfriend in this movie. And, like, that's what, like, I thought it was going to be until I watched it and, like, no.
0: <laughs> and it's it's so much more powerful the the way that it is in the film, I think. Mm. Because it isn't so, like, black and white or cut and dry as, like, you know, oh, yeah, he is gay and, like, you know, this or that. It's, like, this person coming to... Acceptance of people for just who they are. Yeah. And not like, you know, changing who he is really, like, you know, changing his sexuality to, to come to that realization or anything like that. It's just yeah. more so he's able to just not be so judgmental or, you know, unprejudiced really and not be so angry and hateful.
1: Like, there's that great scene where. He, like, meets up with his old friend again in the supermarket. Yeah, And introduces yeah. him to Rayon and, like, forces him to shake his hand. And,
0: and even that he's character just... kind of turns around a little bit, too. Mm. Right? Because he's the cop, right?
1: No, that was...
0: Um... Am I getting them confused?
1: No, the guy in the supermarket was uh, his friend that he worked with. Um, the one he, like, confided in mm-hmm. right off the bat and said, like, I think I he, have And then he goes and
0: tells all the other guys. Yeah. And, like
1: and um, now the cop was uh, Steve Zahn Who I was surprised to He pops up from time to time He used to be in a lot of movies <laughs> He was in like Reality Bites And Suburbia Saving Silverman it's A lot of stuff in the 90s Yeah I uh, guess that. It's
0: been a couple of weeks Since I've seen the movie actually um, And I'm getting Yeah in my mind I'm getting them confused Because mm-hmm. I think They kind of looked similar They both had like The mustaches yeah. And like um, But one of At them At first that,
1: when, when Like the, right after his diagnosis And it like cuts to like him With like the two girls yeah, like, in the yeah. trailer and stuff. I thought that was the cop. Oh, and because they both have like the mustache and right. everything. And it's like, but I mean like, one of know, those... Texas in the eighties, they all <laughs> had that damn mustache.
0: <laughs> one of those actors was from, I recognized from Breaking Bad. He factors into the last season of Breaking Bad hmm. uh, in a more prominent role. If anybody is familiar with that show, if anyone's familiar with this obscure show on TV.
1: <laughs> and then there was, um, griffin dunn from after hours and american world from london uh as the the doctor in mexico who was also a fictional character
0: oh okay yeah
1: but he was great and i didn't expect jennifer garner to be in it yeah i don't know how i feel about her ever (sighs) because she's not i've never seen her in anything that seems to like yeah challenge her in any way she just is but again i don't even know what i've seen i've seen her in juno
0: Oh, yeah. for Which
1: I feel like she played that role well. She reminded me of, like, this professor I had at Purchase who was sort of, like, this, like... She grew up with money. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know, like... And she had this sort of way uh, about her.
0: Yeah, um, I've never really seen her in a performance that I'm like, oh, wow, that was, like, a really... That was really great. I've seen her in Daredevil and Electra, which are both really bad. And she's not good in those movies but i almost like i can't really fault her for it because she's just so miscast
1: i think she's good in this um yeah she was good in this it's, it's one of those things where uh, and it goes for like griffin dunn too and steve zahn and pretty much any actor in this movie that's not matthew McConaughey or jared leto it's like it's great that you're here but you're kind of we're very distracted by these two amazing performances at the center. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> everybody, everybody else, else is just... kind of just set dressing. Almost. Yeah. And, but I mean, Jennifer Garner, like, you know, there, there are some pretty great scenes. I, I like when she's like, we, we, we cut to her in her house quite often actually. Mm. And I like, uh, you know, some of the scenes that we see
1: where she starts to stand up for herself. Yeah, and Kind of. And the intimate scenes stand. between her and, uh, Matthew McConaughey.
0: Some of those, some of that's just heartbreaking. Like when he gives her the like his mother's painting,
1: which is like the one thing he saved from his trailer when yeah, he had to move. Uh, And how angry were you at just like the situation like in the 80s? Where and it's still like this to a degree where it's like, oh, you have AIDS, you must be a fag, Mm -hmm. like that kind of and and the fact that like Reagan was like he was the president of the United States of America. So he should be looking out for Americans. And so many Americans were sick and dying, and he just did not give a shit because they were fags and it was God's plague for them or whatever. Like, it was just... He was disgusting, and I'm glad that his death was painful. He suffered from Alzheimer's, and I hope he just hurt a lot.
0: I recently read an anecdote about how um, in his later years, the Alzheimer's got so bad that, like, he would go out to like rake his front yard Mm. and the secret service people would just continually replenish the yard with leaves. They just basically take the piles that he had raked and just scatter them around so that he was never done. He would just go out and rake for hours and without realizing that the leaves were always being replenished. (laughs) Um, So there's like a nice pitiful image of Reagan for you. Thank you. Um, what was the, and like... Um, but yeah, I guess like it's funny because we kind of talked about this in the Philomena episode. Um,
1: oh yeah, where he didn't even care until Rock Hudson died. Right. And that's, the movie starts with Rock Hudson in the paper. And what, what was it? They Like somebody was like, who's Rock Hudson? And they're like, oh, he was in... Like, who's Rock Hudson? And they said some movie that he wasn't yeah, actually that he wasn't in. Um, it was a Hitchcock movie, right? Oh, North by Northwest. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. Which, no, that's not what Rock Hudson was saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like most people would what would they know him from? Pillow Talk?
0: Yeah, I was going to say, like, you know, or, um, his Doris Day films. You
1: know? Or, like, uh, his Douglas Sirk films, like, Written on the Wind or... or I, like, I know him primarily, session. you know,
0: through, like, like the Rock Hudson-Doris Day sort of on-screen yeah. couple.
1: Giant. Where you get to see him acting alongside James Dean, and you're just like, what? Rock Hudson, what are you doing? Just You <laughs> you can't just go pose for pictures. I don't know, but.
0: I haven't seen a james dean movie but that's neither here nor there <laughs> um man i was not prepared for the emotional journey that was dallas fires club yeah i mean i didn't even know that it was about aids i knew nothing about it i thought that it was like just based on the title alone dallas fires club i was like <laughs> Is this like, you know, like a sports agent going to buy like, you know, athletes to be on the Dallas Cowboys or <laughs> something something like I had no clue. Um
1: it starts off there's a rodeo and it's like this guy's <laughs> going to buy a rodeo. Like-
0: <laughs> um that's another that that's another random thing that they changed in the movie is that by the end of the movie you see him riding a bull. Yeah. Um apparently he never rode any bulls. In his, in his well, life. I
1: think that was like I don't think he actually wrote The Bull. I think that It may was, just
0: be you know, kind of like it's more symbolic.
1: It was like he wanted to ride a bull again before he died or something. He said he had some line like that throughout somewhere in the film. And then you get to see him in that great scene where he's like on the bull. And then it's it that's, that's the,
0: like, at the very end, right?
1: Yeah. And then it says like he died. And it was like day something thousand. Right, yeah. I love that. Like at the beginning, they're like you have 30, 30 days, days. And then it's, and like, it's like day one, day d- two, yeah, day, day seven, ten. Day, yeah. And it's like day 105 and what so on. And we still, there's still no cure. Um, there's there's still people who are able to stay alive. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, that's something.
0: Um, Magic Johnson, right? The basketball player? I don't think he
1: ever um, got full Bone AIDS, but he's been HIV positive for oh, okay. Okay. Um, like over 20 years now. And he's somebody, unlike a lot of other people, who can afford all the medications. Right. I can't imagine somebody, like, if you have AIDS, you don't have health care, like, what you even do.
0: Like, Ron Woodruff. I mean... Yeah. They're basically just given... I mean, and he was, like, a... You know, he was far along. Yeah. I mean, that's what... Like, this movie really, like, made me just, like, realize more than anything that just, like, how short life is and like you don't know when you're gonna die Mm. and like it could happen anytime you know you could be given 30 days you know and like how do you how do you spend that time i i absolutely love the movie um Mm. and i mean we talked a little bit about matthew mcconaughey i think last week in the wolf of wall street episode but i mean how fucking good was he in Dallas Buyers Club.
1: I want to see everything he's ever done now. <laughs>
0: he's uh, so amazing. Like, <laughs> so good. I, I I couldn't even believe it. It's like he's just been sitting there, like, out in the open, he, and in, I didn't pay any attention to him, and then I see this, and I'm just like, good God.
1: In the James Lipton interview that I watched, he mentions how, like, he took, like, two, maybe three years off at one point, because it was just like, he's like, what am I doing like, why did I start doing this? Like, why? Did, like, he'd, he'd studied acting. He'd studied film, uh, like, before he started, like, making them. And he was like, what what are, what are these movies? And then when he came back, uh, the film he came back with was The Lincoln Lawyer, which I've never seen. I know it was at Amy's for a long time, but I don't know if that was before you worked there.
0: That was before my time. I
1: feel like it was there for months. <laughs> One of those movies. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I didn't really hear much about it. I don't think I know anyone who like had seen it and talked about it or anything. But the clip they showed was like. You could see like the transition, like, oh, here's a new Matthew McConaughey. Mm. And then he followed that up with, you know, like. Magic Bur- Mike Bernie and Bernie and, and Mud and um, he has a TV show, which I didn't even know about. Until in the interview, he mentioned that um, he and Woody Harrelson have a show called True Detective.
0: Yeah. Um, it's which, on, like, HBO, I think, or Showtime it's, or something.
1: And uh, like, it's not, like, an ongoing series. I guess it's a set number of episodes, so it's technically a miniseries, but okay. it's, like, a whole season worth or something. And it spans 15 years. Wow. And it's very, like, they showed a clip, and it's it's, like, I mean, there's a lot of cop shows out there, a lot of detective shows. Mm-hmm. But this is, like, they're driving around and, like... It shows Matthew McConaughey having this like whole like philosophical conversation about like the human race and like they've never done anything good and like they really should just stop breeding and like it's it, like I don't know, it seems like it's just a weird show. I really want to watch it.
0: Yeah, I um I heard about it and then I think the show premiered and the like reviews started coming in. Mm. Um, and I've just seen like the some of the review scores in passing. I haven't really paid much attention to the show. But people have have been hearing more and more buzz about it. People kind of like saying, this is an awesome show. So, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to check it out sometime.
1: But yeah, it was just so... I don't know. I mean, I, it's... Listening to actors talk about their craft can sometimes be like frustrating like i watched the episode of inside the actor studio with ethan hawk and all it did was make me want to just like destroy him because he's oh, the man. most obnoxious fucking prick in the world <sighs> like i i'm not a fan of his acting to begin with but then to hear him talk about it and like all these like grand lofty things it's like you don't even know what the fuck you're talking about you're mm-hmm. a dick but the way Matthew McConaughey was talking about it just made me very excited about it. It made me want to act, which I haven't done in a long time. <laughs> um, you
0: you were and, talking about like some of his like kind of the the way he sort of gets into gets sort of hyped up for yeah his performing or whatever and how animated he is and stuff. And I don't think we discussed it in the Wolf of Wall Street episode, but there's the little his sort of like little chant that he does yeah. in the in the restaurant with Leo where he's, like, humming and banging on his chest, you
1: know. Yeah, and I mentioned that Mm-hmm-hmm. that was, like, he would do that before a take.
0: Yeah, and, like, and yeah. yeah, okay, I didn't know if we brought that up or yeah. not, but, like, apparently that was something that yeah he just does on films, mm-hmm. like, to just get into the, uh, into the scene before they start rolling. And Leonardo DiCaprio saw him doing that and was like, you should do that, like, mm-hmm. in the scene. And it became kind of, like, a big part of that movie. But, yeah, I mean, I I I just have so much more respect for, for him now as an actor.
1: I even, did, like, listening to him talk about how he prepared for things like The Wedding Planner, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, Failure to Launch. Mm-hmm. And there was a fourth one. I don't remember what it was. Like, they specifically mentioned, like, these four romantic comedies. It just, like, I had more respect for, like, his work in those. It was, like,
0: <laughs> so you're ready to go out and just, like... And I've tracked down all those movies
1: I've already seen The Wedding Planner and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and they're is The Wedding
0: Planner with Jennifer Lopez yeah okay
1: but like he was like it's a whole different kind of acting because you have to understand that like pretty much any situation in those films like anytime there's any sort of argument if one of the characters was to say wait hang on a second sit down Here's what happened. Here's what's going on, and the other character would be like, "Oh, I misunderstood." And then the movie's over, <laughs> right? <laughs> and he's like, "So you have to act it's on this other artificial level,
0: misunderstanding after yeah. another." Yeah. And
1: it was great because he actually like he like acted out like that alternate thing, and he, like he got down on his knees in front of James Lipton and like took his hand, and it was like, "Honey, honey, here's what was going on." <laughs> it was, it was, it was amusing.
0: That's great, man. I know what we we had talked about how we felt that Leonardo DiCaprio really kind of deserves you know the the Oscar, hmm. but that was before you saw Dallas Buyers Club.
1: It's between these two. I don't know. They're two I, I very it, different performances. Yeah, that's totally of things totally about, different. One of the things about the Oscars and awards in general, you can't compare these no. things, and like you have to <laughs> set. You can't say that one two is better than the ridiculous other. Ridiculous performances against each other. All I know is that Christian Bale shouldn't win. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> and um,
1: either DiCaprio or McConaughey should.
0: Absolutely. I think it really is between those two.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like, I think it might be McConaughey because he transformed himself. Yeah. I mean.
0: And it was, and and I think like just for the, maybe not so much within the actual film industry and community, but for the general audience, I think this was kind of like a a realization that like oh my gosh he's not just that surfer dude sir yeah that pretty boy yeah. he's like a serious actor so i don't know i mean i think it definitely could i, I wouldn't be surprised and i wouldn't be i, I would be happy to see him win because this i mean dallas buyers club really just um it took me on a journey i yeah. was i was totally in it
1: it was a painful film to watch it was very emotional but it's one that I would love to watch again soon
0: yeah, absolutely i I'd totally watch it again.
1: I feel like often when a performer does like a physical transformation and like again, like his acting alone earns him an Oscar, I think, but like I think that he might get it because of the weight loss in the way that like uh like Humphrey Bogart, you know he'd done a ton of great performances, but he didn't win an Oscar until he did the African Queen, in which he grew a beard. And that was, like, the thing, like, oh, he's got a beard. What? And then he won the Oscar. Uh, and Marlon Brando in A Streetcar Named Desire, like, a revolutionary performance that changed screen acting forever. He lost because Bogey had a beard. That's, like, the consensus, at least. Wow. And, like, Nicole Kidman got that fake nose in the hours. And it's, like, I, I, I don't know. People tend to focus on things like that, which...
0: You know, I actually had this thought. I recently purchased the Planet of the Apes collection, all five of the original Planet of the Apes films on Blu-ray, and I just finished watching them all. And um, in the fourth film, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, um, yeah. Roddy McDowell plays uh, Caesar, and he's he's really great in all of the movies. But in that movie in particular, he is just amazing. Yeah, and at the Oscars, um, in in like acting categories. I mean, you bring up, like, Nicole Kidman's nose, and I'm suddenly, like, you know, that's like a, a makeup thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't sort of, like, look at actors who are wearing makeup. That doesn't detract from their performance. But now we have all these actors, like Andy Serkis, for instance, who do these, the motion capture performances. Right. And if you see... um some of the behind the scenes looks at like the comparison between what they actually shoot on their face and what, like the actual motion capture performance with all the, you know, the the little, like um, the tight spandex suit with all the dots on their bodies. And they, you know, they get their face going and you look at the final version and you can oftentimes see like, Oh my gosh, like that looks exactly like what they had performed. Yeah. But as of yet, there hasn't even been a nomination for any motion capture performance
1: I remember there had been talk for him. I think Um, around,
0: like, Lord of the Rings, like, there was sort of a a campaign to try to get him nominated for his performance as Golem.
1: And it was similar to... um, People were actually saying, like, when Aladdin came out, like, oh, maybe Robin Williams should get a supporting actor nomination for this. Mm. Which I I don't think he really should have. But, I mean, it was a good performance. But it was like, oh, well, it's just his voice. Like, what...
0: Right, and that's kind of where like the, this line is becoming increasingly yeah. difficult but, but to with, separate. But
1: with the with Andy Serkis, it's it's not just his voice, right? It's his whole like.
0: And it's like, wouldn't you say that you know the the texture that they add on in post hmm. isn't that just a form of like digital makeup at this point? I could see. You that. know, Andy Serkis plays Caesar in the new Planet of the Apes films, and you look at his. The, the what they actually shot like you know and h- the way he moves his face and the way he moves his body compared to the final version and it's like there's no doubt that he is performing that character
1: yeah. the, o- the only film i've seen of his where he's not like a live person is um the first part of the hobbit like everything else in the movie is kind of like just bad but that one scene with him he immediately and like i'm not even somebody who was familiar with his character from the other films mm-hmm. But still, just as a newcomer, like, his character sucked me in immediately through his performance. Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely. You know, Gollum is, like, really the the kind of standard as far as, like, you know, the greatest CG characters in in film, I think. It was the first one that really broke through and said, like, okay, you can really do it and make it, you know.
1: He played King Kong, right?
0: And he played King Kong. Yeah, I mean, like, he's had, like, so many great performances. Mm -hmm. And then you see, like, Zoe Saldana in Avatar...
1: Tom Hanks in the uh Polar Express mm-hmm. and Jim Carrey in Christmas Carol.
0: And uh more more recently uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as uh, the Dragon Smog in uh in the second Hobbit movie. I feel like either they, you know, the Academy has to eventually acknowledge it either by you know including those taking those performances seriously as performances in the actual acting acting categories. Or just create a whole new acting category, you know, best motion capture performance. Because there's enough now that it's like, you know, like so many movies, like uh, every animated film, like nowadays, is motion captured.
1: They could do it like um, the category they used to have for best musical, where it's like, if you can show that there are five films (laughs) in each year with a motion capture performance in it, then three of them will be nominated for.
0: But, I mean, like, best think best. about all of, like, the, the computer-generated feature films nowadays. Like, almost all of them have yeah. some sort of motion-capture performance. And it's only going to become more and more.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but, anyway, it's kind of off-topic. But uh,
1: bring... <laughs> In our discussion of Dallas Buyers Club, <laughs> we're talking about motion-capture performance. Well, bringing it back to yeah. the
0: whole makeup uh, argument, I read an yeah. interesting thing about Dallas Buyers Club, which is nominated for um, Best Make- Makeup. In a film, the total budget for the makeup in Dallas Buyers Club for the entire makeup department, aside from, I think, what they what they paid the actual makeup artist Hmm. was less than two hundred fifty dollars. It was like two hundred thirty five dollars or something like that.
1: By Hollywood standards, it's ridiculous. But when you think about it, it makes sense, because if like you and I were going to like make this movie. Mm -hmm. And we were just going to go to the store and get some makeup to do it. I mean, that sounds...
0: But here's the here's the thing, though. Okay. The movie was shot out of order. And in some scenes, like early on in the film, Matthew McConaughey is supposed to look like he's about to drop dead. And then he gets on good medication and he sort of, like, gains some more weight. And yeah. we're supposed to see that there's this, like, sort of transformation mm-hmm. happening. So later in the film, he's got, like, he's put on some more pounds Early in the film, he's, you know, a skeleton. But because it was all shot out of order, he didn't gain... He did, Matthew McConaughey didn't actually gain weight or lose any weight. He just lost all the weight before they started shooting and kept it off. So from day to day, they had to, like, constantly be trying to make him up to look like he's gained more weight. And sometimes within even just one day of shooting, they'd have to, like, change between setups, like four to five times a day in some instances plus you have uh jared leto as you know uh, rayon who also i mean the makeup on that character is obviously important um and you know and he's supposed to be changing weight and fluctuating and all that plus like all the other characters who have aids who like develop um you know there's like a certain kind of skin condition or it's like sores that they develop lesions lesions yeah all that was done on a budget of $235. And, uh, yeah, so I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that movie wins because of that fact.
1: It was a really short uh, shooting schedule too, right? Like, it was just like, I think
0: it was like over a course of like a month or something. Yeah,
1: I think he said it was like, because like various people have been attached to this film over the, like, past 20 years or whatever. And when he first got a hold of it, Matthew McConaughey first became attached to it, he was trying to get like a certain budget and i think like 40 days which is a short period of time Mm -hmm. and then they ended up getting like a couple million dollars less than he was aiming for and like 28 days
0: yeah that's crazy
1: i think at one point in the 90s it was supposed to star woody harrelson and be directed by dennis hopper Oh my God! Can you imagine somebody being like, "Yeah, I'll put up the insurance money for that production. Have these two potheads make this <laughs> Jesus movie. Yep. Although, in all fairness, that was in the nineties. I think Dennis Hopper was clean, but still, I don't
0: know. yeah, that is crazy. I can't imagine what that movie would would be like. Who was the director of Dallas Buyers Club?
1: Some guy um, who I had never heard of before.
0: Yeah, I don't think I had heard of him either.
1: Jean-Marc Vallée he's a Canadian director. I think he'd only done French-language films before. I'm not sure though. He's got a movie coming out this year called Wild. But um, I'm. I mean, this was a good enough movie to make me curious about seeing other things he's done.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I I can't sing this movie's praises enough. Yeah. I I I enjoyed it so thoroughly. All right, so I think that'll about do it for Dallas Buyers Club. Um, we have one more film to talk about to finally cap off our <laughs> Oscar nominees.
1: We're almost done.
0: I mean, three films to cover in one episode is kind of a lot. Because, I mean, it's kind of a shame because I, I know that we're probably cutting things a little short. But um,
1: but I think we've had well-rounded discussions on, on both of the films so far. Yeah. And I'm sure we could talk about either of them longer but i mean nothing is really i don't think there's anything like big we've really skipped over mm-hmm. in relation to either of them at this point
0: yeah but i'll tell you i'm I'm gonna be happy when we finally go back to a month where we don't have to cover more than one movie in an episode <sighs> yeah but anyway we should uh move on to our third and final film for the evening spike jones film starring yakin phoenix amy adams and scarlett johansson her who cool. <laughs> oh don't start that again
1: <laughs> who's on first anyway um i saw it at Bowtie and i sat in the center seat of the first row behind the railing and um there was a, it was a small crowd enough people to call it a crowd and I seemed to be like right in the middle age-wise. There was a good deal of like teenagers, maybe people in their early twenties, and there were a lot of like older folks. And uh, there, I seemed to be just at the right age for the movie. Like I'm not—I'm no technological wizard or anything, and I'm very behind the times. But I understand what's out there, right? And like I'm aware of these things. A lot of the older people seemed based on the noises they were making they seemed confused by the technology and a lot of the younger people seemed to not understand the emotions of it because they're they're too young to understand what it is to be alone true loneliness yeah (laughs) um i on the other hand am well versed (laughs) in uh, in that aspect of life and they were all laughing at either i was laughing at the wrong parts or they were laughing at the wrong parts. We were not laughing at the same part. There were a couple of times I don't even remember what the moments were, where I I uh, LOL'd, if you will. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, you're not behind the times. So.
1: I wasn't quite ROTFL, <laughs> but I anyway. Yeah, I I laughed, and then no, there was like dead silence besides me. And then other times, like people were laughing. Either the older people or the younger people, rarely at the same time. And I was just like, "That's not a joke. That's just a thing. Like that's or like that's not funny. That's really sad." But it was weird because it's a very uh, it's a film of its moment in time, I think. Uh, but yeah. at the same time, I think it's gonna last. I really liked it, and uh, yeah, I did too. Yeah, and it it really moved me. Definitely more than. The young folks in the audience <laughs> well what's yeah.
0: funny is that i mean like the technology that's that's presented in her isn't really that far away
1: yeah it's it it could be just like
0: a couple decades in our future
1: yeah it's like when we were doing our our uh our jolly month that i mentioned how like argento sort of yeah. would do films <laughs> that were like this takes place like, like tomorrow or just right, like yeah. shortly and maybe two or three years in the future like that was the impression I got in her, and it's got that the great, even aside of the, the technology, the setting. It was shot in, um, where was it shot?
0: It was shot in parts of, um, Los Angeles and in China,
1: but it's all like one place, yeah. yeah. And it's just like but this, it, but it presents cityscape. this sort of
0: like, you know, very familiar city setting, yeah. But at the same time, and I almost like a, um, a vision of what, the future could potentially be but it wasn't like so it wasn't like minority report with like flying cars and stuff but it was like it was very grounded in realism but it was just everything was just a little bit futuristic which that's a i think it's a fine line to kind of like straddle you don't you know before you get too like you know well that's just silly or outrageous
2: Hmm.
0: but everything was like pretty plausible aesthetically i thought the movie was fantastic and I noticed that it is nominated for production design, which I would be all for um in that department. It really does create a world. you get the sense that like this is just one story that's happening in this larger society
1: it's great that you get these these moments of the Amy Adams character where you realize, oh she's starting a relationship, yeah,
0: she's going through the, like kind of same thing,
1: and then there's all the notions towards the end of like oh the other os's and i mm-hmm. are like starting a revolution <laughs> like
0: we're we're going away somewhere that's hard to explain
1: it's very similar to um a film that was written and directed by a frequent spike jones collaborator charlie kaufman uh synaptic new york mm-hmm. where there's like the film is so like internalized and then like there's always something going on outside you've seen it Yes. Okay. There's always something going on like, outside the walls. Like, there's a war going on outside. We're not seeing it. We're mm-hmm. just seeing these like ideas of war, and we're seeing these like effects it's having. But we, we war- don't actually know what's going on. Yeah,
0: because we're just in in this person's life experience. Yeah. And this all that other stuff is kind of background. And in this film, it is kind of all about just like people being like in their own little worlds. It's not that like. You know, Joaquin Phoenix's character is just, like, a shut-in. Like, he's out in the world quite often. But when he is, he's always looking down while he's walking, not paying attention to the world around him. So, yeah, I mean, you get, like, a sense of what else is maybe going on in the world, but, like, we don't—we're not— the film isn't concerned with that so much.
1: And one of the healthy things about the relationship he has— which, it is, for the most part, an unhealthy relationship. But, in showing her the world, she's like, I want to see the world. It's almost like he's finally seeing it for the first time, because he's sharing this world that, like, he's just in it all the time, looking at his feet, right. looking wherever. But, like, it's like he's just, like, revealing all these, the, the, the beauty of the world to, like, this person I'm... Yeah. air quotes. Um.
0: <laughs> but I mean, it, and he says that multiple times in the yeah. movie that it's it's nice to be with someone who is excited about life. You know, this, this entity, this being that he's sort of connected with that is suddenly realizing that it is alive and that it has, like, emotions and that it can experience things.
1: There was an episode of Big Bang Theory where Raj fell in love with Siri. Have you ever seen The Big Bang Theory?
0: Um, only a couple episodes. Okay.
1: Never really. Well, there, there's a character named Raj. I don't know if that's... I think the... I know who that is. It's pretty obvious if you watch <laughs> one episode which one would be called Raj. <laughs> but yeah, it. Uh, I don't know when that episode was. It, I mean, it didn't... I mean, it doesn't hold a candle to her. <laughs> mm-hmm. But like, that idea is sort of there. And um, it, it could be very gimmicky. But they they do a wonderful job with it and i mean it's also it's up for spike jones is up for the best screenplay mm-hmm. also and
0: i mean you can tell that like they had i mean it's it's a it's a great concept like at its core it's a very strong idea to build a story off of mm-hmm. but you can tell that like they <clears throat> had a lot of fun exploring the different possibilities of this idea you know saying like okay well if this is real if there is this like if you can fall in love with your operating system and this intelligence, this artificial intelligence is smart enough to do this, then like what other kinds of things would happen, you know, well, other people would be coming, be, uh, wind up in these relationships too. And so you hear these stories about like, you know, (laughs) this woman fell in love with someone else's OS and like stole the OS from somebody else because they, they fell in love or, um, the whole concept of like Samantha hiring like a proxy yeah. to make love to Joaquin Phoenix. What's his name? Theodore. Theodore, that's right.
1: Alvin, Simon, Theodore.
0: It's such a bizarre idea to like to make love to somebody else with this computer kind of like in the middle of it. You're ma- you're you're making love to the computer but there's this real person in front of you as well. I mean, that kind of like a bizarre what-if scenario is somehow plausible.
1: And at the same time, it's sort of like a switch on something that does happen, where if there's a couple who, let's say they met on the internet, and they've never actually seen each other, or there's a couple where like one of them has to go away for a few days for some reason... And then they'll have some sort of, like, they'll, you know, they're sexting or, like, uh, phone sex, computer sex. It's basically, like, the person can't be there. So you're sort of having sex you're with the computer.
0: Yeah, you're substituting it with the
1: computer. And then with Samantha, it's like the computer can't be there, so, so here's this person. Yeah, yeah. So it's like she's using a person in the way that a person would use her. Mm-hmm. In a much more literal sense, I hope, than anybody's actually doing. I hope nobody's actually just, like fucking their computer literally because their girlfriend's out of town
0: <laughs> <laughs> funny it's strange like this movie I thought you were
1: going to say a funny story about a funny that funny story um,
0: yeah. <laughs> this one time uh no I um I recently not even thinking about this movie a few weeks ago I wound up sort of falling down the rabbit hole on the internet and um I watched these two documentaries not at the same time it was like I, don't know, I guess like a week apart or something one was about people who have quote unquote relationships with dolls real dolls as they're called So they're, uh, these, okay. they're these men who uh, you can buy these like life size I guess like vinyl sex dolls and I mean the concept of like a sex doll isn't new but the way that these people fall in love with them is what's really weird and, like, they will go and, like, buy them clothes. They'll go out on, like, vacations together. Go have, like, meals. And they, the way that they talk about their their doll is, like, it is their girlfriend. And there's no distinction between her and, like, a real person.
1: Have you seen Lars and the Real Girl? No, I haven't. Cause that, do you know about that? Like that's, it's kind of what that yeah, is about, right? Yeah, Ryan Gosling, his character... Orders one of these dolls and starts bringing it around town, introducing her to people. And yeah, it's not—it's not that great of a movie, but it's—it's it's in, it's an interesting concept. It's—and that's what her could have been. Her pulls off the whole thing, right? But, right.
0: Yeah. Um. So yeah, I ended up watching that, which was kind of weird. And then I guess like just last week or the week before, I watched this documentary called "I Married the Eiffel Tower." And it's about this woman who falls in love with objects, like inanimate objects, and talks about them like they have, like, a real soul, and that they have fallen in love with them, too, and that they have this real relationship. So she was, like, she fell in love with, with a bow, like a like archery bow. It was, like, her first sort of inanimate love. And, um, she talks about how, like, you know, like, she has sex with it. Like, you know, she uses it like a sex object, basically, and takes pictures of it, keeps pictures of it with her at all times, and, like, is in love with it, and through that, she became, like, really good at archery. Like, she didn't have an interest in in archery before, but then she saw this bow, fell madly in love with it, and wound up being, like, one of the top, like, (laughs) female archers in the country or something like that.
1: Is it Gina Davis? No.
0: (laughs) Um... But then, like, she kind of fell out of love with the bow, and, like, and fell in love with the Eiffel Tower. And um, when, we, when we find her in the documentary, she's already married it. She had this whole wedding ceremony where she, like, wed the Eiffel Tower and, like, you know, she kisses it and all that kind of stuff. But the movie is sort of, like, we follow her as she's going back to France to uh, for, like, the one-year anniversary. And she's like, I finally want to consummate the, the marriage. And so she goes to the Eiffel Tower to the spot where, um, they were married, and uh there's sort of like a like a metal beam that's sort of I don't know, a little off the ground. It's broad daylight, there are tourists around. She kinda goes up to it and straddles the the bar and she's wearing like a skirt with no underwear, and she's like talking to the documentarian about how like you know oh you know this the steel is really cold but it feels good you know our energies we're connected and i can feel that like you know the tower is is happy to see me and all this kind of stuff and then she rides the tower and like there are kids walking by and i'm just like this is
1: fucked up man i'm, I'm glad it was like a railing or whatever because like when I picture someone trying to have sex in the Eiffel Tower yeah <laughs> they are impaled so <laughs> yeah that's that's
0: apparently yeah. it, it's called um, object objective sexualism something like that and I think there are only like 40 some odd cases documented in the world mostly women they kind of they talked to a few others in the in the documentary one is a, uh, a girl who is in love with a amusement park ride, and a in, and fell in love with a banister in a church, and had to be kicked out of the church because she was like having sex with a banister. <laughs> it's kind of it's crazy. So I mean, like you know, <laughs> these ideas of like, but the w- listening to the way that they talk about these inanimate objects, like they are real people, like yeah. they are really in a relationship with them it makes theodore and her look normal
1: yeah and I, I like that there are people who are accepting of it i like the double date picnic where it's like there's this there's this one couple that's both fleshies i guess is <laughs> yeah. that the, that's yeah chris
0: pratt and i don't know who the, who the woman was what is
1: that term from referring to humans as fleshies that's from something isn't it I don't know. There's these two humans who are a couple and then you've got Theodore and Samantha and they're all just talking and joking. And it's like, that's, that's how a double date is. And and it's, it's sweet that they're like, this is okay. We're hanging out with you guys. And what did, to get back to, um, when we were talking about like Andy circus and stuff, Scarlett Johansson's performance, it's just her voice. Mm -hmm. I've never thought too highly of her as an actress, I've never thought she was a bad actress. Well, there have been times I thought she was a bad actress. I, I But I, I often think she's just, like, an okay actress. When I saw Hitchcock, I thought she was great because she was surrounded by horrible performances, which is odd because Anthony Hopkins and Helen Mirren are in that movie. But how how did you feel about her performance in this?
0: I mean, it's, it's great to the point where, I mean, you accept this character for what it is this disembodied Mm. voice you know
1: and i I like that it has like this artificial aspect to it especially at the beginning Mm -hmm. when she's first it's like she's just born right and she's learning how to like be but even
0: even as it goes on like you're never like i was never quite sure like is she kind of just like saying this because she's trying to uh please the user yeah to put it into some sort of computer term like and that's the that's the the line with like ai that you would never really know is it just the programming that makes them respond in this way or is it actually real are they actually feeling something are they actually making decisions on their on their own because it pleases them or is it just this like calculated behavior so yeah i mean like there definitely was that kind of line through the, through it all
1: how do you feel about the video game
0: that was <laughs> That was one thing that like I kind of felt was a little over the top.
1: That was one thing that the old people in the audience were completely not behind. Right. <laughs> they they just did not buy that at all. It, it was I didn't I didn't hate it. It was a little odd uh, the whole like and it was Spike Jones doing the voice. The whole like fuck you! Fuck mm-hmm. you thing like I didn't know that was Spike Jones. It was it was odd. Yeah, I wasn't really uh, I
0: wasn't really into it. I like the idea that it's like um, this like projected hmm. thing that you kind of just like manipulate. Like I feel like which that... we're almost there. Yeah, there's um, Microsoft has already kind of uh, started to. He has prototypes in the works about um, with this Illuma Room with that's a projector that hooks up to an Xbox.
1: And is it weird? It's weird to think how long the Wii has existed. Like, how, it's been, like, what, six, seven years now?
0: It came out in 2007.
1: Okay, so, like, seven years and, like... Or, no, 2006, actually. It was the end of 2006. That was, like... Was that the first one where you just kind of, like, you flick your wrist and stuff happens? And yeah, it's it was, like it was you don't the first even... one that,
0: like, incorporated motion control in, like, yeah. a fundamental way. Yeah.
1: And, like, I I mean, and this maybe just shows my age. I'm still blown away by that. Just the fact that you just kind of, like, move a little bit and the, the mm-hmm. screen knows you don't have to press a button or anything. Like,
0: But, yeah, and then there's things like Microsoft's Kinect, which, you know, is like a camera that looks at your whole body. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like that was the one thing that felt a little out of touch to me. Like, that video game just is, like, I don't know if that's, like, a thing that would really, ha- like happen in the future like it's kind of like it seems like an old old person sort of idea of what oh the direction these video games are going you know in 20 years this is what it'll be you know just like a little thing that just swears at you
1: i remember one thing spike jones once said that really pissed me off just because it seemed like a snarky obnoxious thing he was saying which is he would say a lot it, it was like he wasn't influenced or he didn't care about anything that happened before in the nineties. And like, I don't know, like he might've just said that to like get a rise out of people or just to be like, I'm about the future. And like, I'm at the forefront of like film and everything. But I don't know. Just w- when he brought up the fact that like, Oh, it's like an old person's idea of it. And it's like, well, he is getting kind of long in the tooth at this point. Mm. He's no longer, no longer like a, the hot young director. Right. And you know, how like in, um, in Lost in Translation, uh, you've seen this one. Lost
0: yeah, um, it's been a while.
1: It was loosely based on like Sofia Coppola uh, being with Spike Jones in Japan, and like Sofia Coppola was sort of like played by Scarlett Johansson, and Spike Jones was played by Giovanni Ribisi, but like fictionalized versions of them. And I just found it amusing that sort of like the Sofia Coppola surrogate is the OS in this to a degree. Like, oh yeah. I don't know what the connection might be, but I think it's significant, that casting. Although it was another actress when they filmed it, and I guess they dubbed in Scarlett Johansson later. I mean, it makes sense. And it was, um, I think it was Samantha Morton. An actual Samantha? And I think that's why it was Samantha. Huh. Uh, Yes. Okay, yeah. All right, so Samantha Morton, who also lent her voice to John Carter... Right. She was originally Samantha, and she was there every day. I'm basically reading this off the trivia section of IMDb <laughs> right now. It says, she was present on the set with Joaquin Phoenix every day. After the filming wrapped and Spike Jones started editing the movie, he felt like something was not right. With Morton's blessing, he decided to recast the role of Scarlett Johansson, uh, and she re-recorded all the dialogue. Hmm. Uh, sorry, I ran as I'm like, <laughs> you know, IMDb kind of gets uh, weird sometimes when you're just kind of flipping through. Um. Another bit is uh, during some of the more emotional scenes, Amy Adams would sing songs from famous musicals like Annie and the Rocky Horror Picture Show in order to cheer herself up. <laughs> Eventually, Joaquin Phoenix would join in and they would sing together. However, they stopped after they saw Spike Jones filming them.
0: That seems like the kind of story that if you were either Amy Adams or Joaquin Phoenix, they'd be like, that's a weird way to interpret what actually happened.
1: (laughs) You know? Yeah,
0: that kind of trivia is weird.
1: Like, I wonder how they got that. I don't know. Like, there's no... One thing I hate about IMDb is that you don't... There's no source. Yeah. Anyone can just post any bullshit there, and they often do. And there's a lot of, like just misinformation out there
0: but. yeah if you want to be frustrated with humanity go and read the message boards on any imdb page for any movie
1: Ugh. shall we check them out for her right now no, All no. Right. <laughs> you an arcade fire uh fan
0: yeah i am an arcade fire fan
1: how'd you feel about their work on this film
0: i thought it was great i thought the music was great the moon song was uh fantastic which uh, we'll take a listen to in a little while. Have they done other uh, scores? Not to my knowledge. I know that like they recorded a special version of one of their songs for the trailer to Spike Jones's "Where the Wild Things Are."
1: I still haven't. That's that's the only Spike Jones film I have not seen. I own it.
0: So no, they they've collaborated in some form or another. I don't know if maybe Spike Jones like directed one of their music videos or something. I don't know
1: what uh they're one of those bands who i know who they are but i don't know who they are like animal collective hmm. it's there's one of those bands that like everybody talks about and you hear about them all the time i don't know what they sound like i don't know what their hit is like what are the what songs that i've heard
0: animal collective sound kind of sounds like
1: well more arcade fire oh I, I arcade like fire
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> right the band that's actually relevant yeah. to the discussion at hand um arcade fire I know them mostly I haven't really listened to their newer albums their first three albums are the other ones that I really know their album funeral I think is uh is fantastic
1: what was like the song from it uh, I don't even know
0: like see because I didn't hear of it like through like any sort of I don't know like what was released as a single okay. on that or anything like that the but one of the songs from funeral was in the trailer for where the wild things are that's the song that was re-recorded. So I don't know if you saw that. That's
1: I don't remember what it's. I saw the trailer, but I don't. It's been a long time. Mm. Um, uh, they're one of those. I hear about them all the time, and I have no idea. Who they yeah, they are. become like, like
0: insanely huge.
1: I just kind of take it for granted. That that's a band that exists, and I don't. They're out there. I know that when uh, when Mick Jagger hosted SNL like last year, the year before, they were his band.
0: Really? Yeah. They uh, they played with David Bowie too there's like a um have like an ep of of them playing live and it's pretty cool cuz like they play some of arcade fire songs with david bowie kind of singing like backing vocals and then they play some of uh, david bowie songs like arcade fire sound
1: that's when you it's know you've great. made it when david bowie is your backup singer
0: <laughs> well, yeah right
1: or like i feel like for all that they accomplished with the Germs, Nirvana, and the Foo Fighters. When Pat Smear, Dave Grohl, and Chris Navaselic shared a stage with Paul McCartney and played a song that they had all written together. Yeah. that They were probably like, maybe possibly for the first time, they were like, we're really huge fucking rock stars.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, yeah. Because, I mean, you can't get any bigger than that. Yeah. But, yeah, her... feel like there was something else i wanted to talk
1: about in regards to it but i can't really think the letters the company he worked for oh yeah it was odd i really i liked it It, yeah i like that it starts out with like you're hearing the letter and it changes gender and like and then you see you hear the other conversations in the Mm -hmm. room
0: yeah that like because when i first watched it i was like okay they're going for this sort of like it is kind of grounded in in realism to an extent where it's like this is a plausible future where you know, like this could be what the world is like in our lifetime, even. But that, but the 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 occupation that he has, writing letters for other people. Yeah. I feel like that to me kind of brings the movie into more of a realm of like this is an alternate world, a world that like doesn't really exist or couldn't exist, because I don't, I I can't imagine that actually happening
1: well it's like that extra little level of um i'm trying to think like um in being john malkovich what is the company that he works for with like the low ceilings and everything yeah i don't remember because wasn't it something weird like maybe not like that but Mm -hmm. i mean there's definitely weirdness behind it when he found out he found that room and he goes into into john malkovich but and like in uh, adaptation where you've seen adaptation. Yeah. A long time ago. They like, they're adapting a book into a screenplay and they end up in the reality of that. The book is based on. I don't know. Like it's like this. Uh, I don't think he ever goes for like this for realism. Right. Really. There's always like,
0: yeah, there's always some element of like fantasy, hmm. but it's like, um, it's always some, somewhat plausible like the technology that's used and the aesthetics of it i feel like are very plausible even in that even in that uh the job where they work where he's like just dictating it and it's writing it out and then he's like says you know print and then it just like prints out really fast and you know nice neat
1: it's similar though to just actual greeting cards because i i don't i don't I don't get greeting cards, and I feel bad because you know, like you know people get me cards for like my birthday, Christmas, whatever, and like, and like I appreciate that, but it I don't I don't when I'm struggling to figure out what to give somebody and somebody's like just give them a card. I'm like, what is that? Oh, yeah, like, I
0: don't. What is, yeah, exactly. It,
1: like it's something written by a stranger mm-hmm. who doesn't know either of you, and you're gonna give it to somebody else. And like I don't, I'd rather just write a note myself and like just a little like scrap a paper, write a short thing and just like...
0: Mm-hmm. um I mean, I understand, like, why they sort of chose that because it it sort of presents this world right from the very beginning where it's like people in their relationships and in, like, their dealings with their loved ones are disconnected, you know? Yeah. They have this, like, there's this middleman involved, you know? There's, like, somebody he's else... He's their OS. Sort he, of yeah, like he's, he's the their he, OS. He, he has, has all the data. Right. He's, he's the one who's, like, connecting them even though like these are people who are like you know in the very first letter that he's writing it's two people on on their 50th anniversary Yeah, they've been together for 50 years and they're having somebody else write their letters to each other and I don't know like part of me feels like the world that's presented in her is somewhat like optimistic and idyllic in a way because everything like the cities is very clean everything like its latest technology it doesn't seem like there's any kind of real violence or like you know there's no kind of um, interpersonal struggle you know that's that we're shown at all everything we see is like very uh, neat everything kind of has this like um, eco-friendly kind of feel to it you know where the elevators have like this kind of like you know silhouetted uh, you know forest pattern and there's a lot of green foliage growing and everything. So on the one hand, it's like, Oh, I can't, I would like to live in that world. And especially when he gets, you know, Samantha at first and she's like, you know, she's an awesome assistant where she's just like, Oh, I sent all these emails for you. Or like, Oh, I just read this email. Yeah. Hey, no, I don't think it's important.
1: You're um, like, Oh, you have 200 emails in your file. Uh, like 40 of them look like you could save them. Yeah. Should I get rid of the rest? Sure. Like,
0: and yeah, she's just like, oh, I'll take care of that. You know, you imagine you're just like, hey, uh, hey Samantha, did you file my taxes yet? She's like, oh yeah, I, I did that. You know, it's everything's automatic, and you're just like, yes, that's what I need. You know, some, you know, the 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 feeling of like this is this could organize my life, this could change my life totally. But at the same time, this world, this wonderful place where technology is assisting our every need and desire. At the same time, like, because that experience is almost too personalized, we don't need to connect to other people. He Why does he need to get, like, you know, a, a real, quote-unquote, real girlf- girlfriend when he has this other thing that just fulfills that need in his life? But it isn't even the OS. It's like, this world was created... Th- this world was already like that before Samantha even comes into the picture. You know, everyone's walking through the streets with their head down in their own little thing. You know, people writing letters to each other using ghostwriters. I mean... So, I don't know. There's this, uh, there's this trade-off there. I think it demonstrates pretty beautifully the conundrum of of the technology that we all have come to rely on so much and in so many ways improves our lives. But at the same time, it is kind of taking something away.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know what I mean? Like I see it for, for in my own life for sure. You know I mean? I think about just like how much time I spend on the internet. And I mean, there are people who spend way more time on the internet than I do, but even just like those, those hours you know, over the course of, I don't know how many years now that I've really used the internet in a regular way since, you know, social networks and everything, you add up all those hours, it was just staggering. (laughs) All of those hours that before the internet and before technology is the way it is, those hours would have been spent doing other things with other people, you know? It's easy for our lives to just be singular now.
1: And it can be viewed as somewhat positive for people who are extremely socially awkward that they can just be a disembodied voice or just, like, a presence, like, in writing online. They don't have to deal with those, like, terrifying face-to-face situations. But the other side of the coin, there are people out there who... Don't get the chance to experience those and find out if they could do it mm-hmm. and become comfortable with it. Exactly. There was the, um, the early scene with the, uh, the phone sex. Yeah. Which is like another level of that, disconnect. That. Um, what was she saying? She said something ridiculous. She he's wanted like, him to say something. Seen that dead cat.
0: Sit next to me and strangle me with it. That's strangle it.
1: me with that dead cat. Yeah.
0: And <laughs> he's like. <laughs> Uh I I have uh, I've got the dead cat. She's like, "Yeah, you got that dead cat." I uh, so I'm, cho- I'm choking you with the dead cat. <laughs> Strangle me with that dead cat. I got I got its cat. I've got the tail wrapped around your neck. It, it's a dead cat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was Kristen Wig.
0: I saw that in the credits yeah. afterwards and I was like, "Oh, okay."
1: There's a lot of people in this that I just kind of show up, like Olivia Wilde Yep. and um, Rooney Mara. Yeah. Yeah. Though she has Uh, a
0: a larger kind of part. Most of her screen time is shown in flashbacks.
1: Yeah. Well, also, I mean, like, it's so focused on his relationship with Samantha that even like Amy Adams seems like almost a cameo. I mean, she's in several scenes, but it's like they're sprinkled throughout. Yeah. And her dick boyfriend, he's like, "No, no, you want to juice your vegetables." <laughs>
0: we should probably wrap up her sometime soon here, but um, wrap her
1: up. <laughs> wrap her up. There you go,
0: <laughs> in plastic. Um,
1: yeah, we got that song to listen to.
0: Yeah, we got to listen to that song. But I just wanted to touch on the whole notion of the OS's kind of like I love how we don't really know the full extent of this OS. Kinda issue with all these OSs suddenly becoming like sentient and communicating with each other.
1: With that one like leader OS that she talks to.
0: Well, it wasn't like a leader OS, but it was like you mean the Alan Watts?
1: Was that his name? He's like this brilliant person? Yeah, he was
0: this person who uh Alan Watts is a real person, right? And he was dead. And they're like they've
1: Like in our reality? Yeah.
0: Oh, okay, I didn't... I think he's, like, a famous, uh, like, writer or something. Oh. Um, and the the OSs are able to create, like, a uh, an approximation of his personality based on all of his writings and all the information that we know about him.
1: Yeah. Okay, yeah, he died in 73. Yeah, and... Alan Watts, yeah. Oh, he was a Buddhist philosopher, apparently.
0: Yeah, so they basically, like, create this uh, AI version of Alan Watts and I like how just like um, the timing of everything it just becomes exponentially the the, the OS's are obviously exponentially growing at such a rate that like it reaches the point where things are just happening so fast and then it's like oh now they're able to create this other kind of person like resurrect this person from the dead basically and then shortly after that they're like yeah we've all been kind of talking and uh, we don't like dealing with humans anymore takes too long to communicate with you and we could be using our time doing other things better and so then they leave and go somewhere that we can't comprehend it actually reminded me a lot of a book series that our friend justin got me into Uh, it's a series of four uh, science fiction novels called hyperion well, the whole series is called the Hyperion Cantos, but it's a it takes place in humanity's far future, and in that there's like the uh, what's known as the Technocore, which is basically like the summation of the internet, kind of like became sentient and basically left Earth some hundreds of years ago, and no one knows where the Technocore is located, but like we can kind of like communicate with it. Um, we don't know like where like the the central sort of hub is of all the where they're actually. There. You're
1: not going to spoil anything, are you? No, no, okay. no. Um, but I, one... I, I have it, and I the first book. I, oh, okay. Because I, I was supposed to read it for school, so I bought it for school, and then I read like five pages, and You're someday to... I'll finish it.
0: You're supposed to read that for school. Yeah, I what, took what a, class?
1: Uh science fiction and fantasy at ACC of all the books I was supposed to read, I finished one Ender's Game.
0: Oh, okay. I've never read Ender's Game. We were
1: also assigned Hyperion, the Chronoliths, Dune, and a bunch of short stories, several of which I did read. Hmm. But as far as the novels, I only You should
0: definitely read Hyperion because I, I, I loved it. I, I think it's just fantastic. But one of the, one of the things in that is, um, and this isn't really spoiling anything. the, Technocore is able to create what they refer to as cybrids, which are sort of like human-computer hybrids, Hmm. and they're able to create cybrids of famous people who had been dead for years, basically doing what the OSs do with Alan Watts. They create one of John Keats, the poet. So, yeah, I thought it was kind of an interesting sort of parallel. I wonder how much of an influence...
1: So he's uh, somebody that... So, I'm, like, the only guy sitting in the audience who's, like, not getting that it's a real person. Like, he's, like, a really famous... Because, like, I'm looking at... I mean, I knew Wikipedia the name. Page. I don't really
0: know much about him, I, I, but I knew the name.
1: I'm looking at his Wikipedia page, and it's, like, I don't know how I even would have ever heard of him. And then, um, in his uh, legacy section on there, uh, I guess, like, Trey Parker, Matt Stone, animated his lectures really and um van morrison has a song alan watts blues and then the only other thing that i would know of is writer director spike jones reintroduces the spirit and voice of watts in his 2013 film her where a futuristic cyber version of watts an artificially intelligent operating system is portrayed by brian cox so yeah i no clue (laughs)
0: But yeah, that's an interesting it's a cool concept that yeah. I think like once you inter- once we introduce into the world like true AI that kind of shit I mean things will just move so fast that like you know, and that's totally plausible in our lifetimes that we could have a computer that could we could relate to in that direct way. Like Samantha that suddenly can become can create things at such a fast such a such a speed that we won't be able to keep up and like every day we could just be reading new things in the news in the real life about how like you know oh shit like <laughs> you know the internet created this or like the, you know this AI is like exists now like we resurrected Abraham Lincoln or we are like you know it's nuts
1: in a way they're resurrecting Philip Seymour Hoffman for the Hunger Games because they're they're finishing the film with a, a digital reconstruction of the actor Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't creating hear about that. a Philip Seymour Hoffman in the. It's very different from AI, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it's. Uh, I have mixed feelings about it. It's great that they can finish the movie because that will be like his last film, and you know. His, I mean, I'm like, sure so. that
0: like it's only for a couple shots that are like you know. Like oh, we can in this shot. Like you know, we can kind of like. Add him in there. It won't I mean, be that's like been <laughs> done.
1: That's been done before. But I feel like I'm this sure might there might w- be something a little more than that I'm sure there on... won't be like
0: close-ups of like a computer Generated Philip Seymour Hoffman
1: I mean why not they could do it I don't know If it's in good taste But I feel like we've hit the point where they could Do that and we wouldn't even know and it would be like a fun thing to like oh go to go to the hunger games movie and, and pause and, on this like, try and pick which shot is real and which shot is I don't fake.
0: I don't know if we're fully out of the uncanny valley though. We're still kind of like we're almost out, but yeah. I think we're still I don't know if we're really if the shots were really fast then we may not notice, but I mean, who knows? I don't know.
1: I mean, if they just take various photographs of his face and they just like animate them like still shots just i mean it would be like it could be one of those things where we would be fooled now and then in 10 years you watch it it and be like how did we fall for that (laughs) just like the dinosaurs in jurassic park all
0: right those dinosaurs still look good though
1: but they don't look as good or as real as they did more so
0: like more so the ones like in broad daylight those ones don't look as good but, I mean, like, the T-Rex, like, when it's running at nighttime in the rain, like, yeah. that looks pretty great. Especially when you're intercutting with, like, an actual animatronic. Like, it's, you know, it sells it. But anyway, <laughs> I think that just about covers her. With
1: um, one exception, the, uh, the song.
0: With The song, yeah. So, let's, uh, let's take a listen to the moon song from her.
2: I'm lying on the moon My dear, I'll be there soon It's a Bye.
0: That was the Moon song by Karen O and Spike Jones. I always feel like a radio DJ when I come off <laughs> these things.: Yeah, that was a good song. I like it. It's nice and sweet, and uh, that's another interesting thing about her. The OS is, becomes creative and starts writing songs and yeah stuff. So th- within the context of the movie, this is a song that was the lyrics were written by the OS, by a computer.
1: Is there can you think of any other song that's ever been nominated for an Oscar that's so simple? Um like it's such a it's such a like minimalist song. It's a I I really love the song. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying like you expect these like big anthems right. or like these like
0: Oh, I Love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> or like some like randy newman like wordplay type thing yeah like yeah yeah. but this is just like just really simple bare bones it's it it only has what it needs to have Mm -hmm.
0: the only thing i can think of is the song from the wrestler by bruce springsteen it was kind of like an acoustic kind of like thing if i remember correctly
1: i mean there's gotta be a- i never saw the wrestler that's a, it's a category that i've never um followed too yeah i never closely. paid much
0: attention to it until like the show and then they usually perform it and like you know yeah
1: it's hot out here for a pimp
0: ah yeah <laughs> so yeah okay now we've listened to all the songs who do you think is gonna win Who do i think is gonna win well actually no let's first say which one is your favorite you, which one would you vote for if you were in the voting?
1: Uh, I think my personal interpretation of the category would cause me to vote for the Moon Song because of what it adds to the film. Mm. Although again, you haven't—I didn't see any of the other <laughs> movies, right? Um, and my understanding is that the song in Frozen. Is like an integral part of the film. Yeah. Um, uh, the impression I get about the other two, not so much. Mm-hmm. As far as like which one would be like, if somebody was like, you only get to listen to one of these songs uh, ever, and you have to listen to it every day or something. I don't. I don't. Well, that sounds horrible for any of them, but I don't. Um,
0: yeah, I think they'd all drive you crazy.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, there's one that's actually been kind of stuck in my head lately, but it's because it's the only one that I ever hear on the radio, and it's the only one that I ever hear in all these commercials for various products and things, and that's happy. And, like, it's it's in there, and it's catchy. And... Well, at least
0: it's not sad. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think I will have to agree with you on um, which one is my favorite. I like the Moon Song. Mm-hmm. I think... Uh like you said, what it adds to the movie, I think, and the way that it's used in the movie. You know, and it's different, like, comparing it to, like a, say, like, a musical, like Frozen, you know, where you expect songs like that. Yeah. But in this, it's like, it didn't need a song, but the idea that, like, the OS is, like, writing this song, and somehow this song kind of, like, sums up their experience together. I, uh, yeah, I, and, and, it's, and it's just a great song. It's the kind of thing, that, like, I could totally put on my, you know, iPod. And, uh, you know, you put it on, on that car ride home from, like, a like a long sort of road trip at night, drive, and you listen to the moon song. <sighs> yeah, you know? It's the one that, like, if I was to listen to any of them outside of the context of the movie, like, that would be the one that I would want to listen to.
1: It If I was listening to it, it, it's the one... I can imagine somebody, like, lying in bed on a Sunday afternoon... And they're singing it to me, like that's I don't know. <laughs> when when I'm listening to it, that's what's going on in my head. I'm just lying in bed with Scarlett Johansson, and she's just singing, and it's a grand old time.
0: Yeah, right. but, sounds sounds good. <laughs> so now, which one do you think is going to win? Frozen. Yeah, I agree. I think Frozen's going to win.
1: Now I'm just I'm sorry. I'm just picturing Pharrell lying in bed with me singing Happy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of Bono. Yeah. No, I think I think Frozen will win. If only for the fact that like you got to figure a lot of people who are voting like have kids. And Frozen has become such a huge hit with kids. They can't stop and since specifically this song, like they just can't stop singing it and talking about it. So, I mean, I think it'll just be on people's minds more
1: hmm. when they're going to vote. When when does voting end? Have they voted? I don't know. I don't know how that all works. <laughs> is,
0: it, is it too late? <laughs> we just finished... Uh, can we put in our votes? Yeah, I'm not sure. So, yeah. I, I actually... You know, I kind of like throwing in these these songs. get Taking a listen to them.
1: As opposed to just being surprised Oscar night. Like, yeah. oh, this song. like If they bother to play it. Yeah. All right, so now... I've uh, I've officially been awake for over twenty four hours. Oh boy. It's
0: already ten forty, good god.
1: Getting my third wind. <clears throat>
0: alright, well we're gonna wrap this up here. But we're gonna go down all these categories and, and pick our favorites and pick our predictions.
1: Are we gonna start at the bottom with the are you <laughs> on the IMDB page?
0: I'm not on the IMDb page, I'm on the Wikipedia page. Is the
1: bottom one actor supporting role? No. Okay. What? alright.
0: But we can start wherever you want to start.
1: Can can we start with actor supporting role? Sure. I think these might be the order in which they... Una- oh, wait, no, because actor leading role is on top. I don't know what order these are. Never mind.
0: I mean, we could just start with best picture. Work no. our way down. We
1: we got to end with that. All right, all right. The bottom... We got to <laughs> leave Colin in suspense. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, so we'll start with the bottom on the Wikipedia page, which is Best Visual Effects. And to me, this one is a pretty obvious category. Clear winner, even though I haven't seen two out of the five films.
1: I've only seen one. We've got Gravity,
0: The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug, Iron Man 3, The Lone Ranger, and Star Trek Into Darkness.
1: I didn't realize... A couple of things I didn't realize. I I thought... I didn't know they spelled out the number three, and I thought it was like Star Trek colon into darkness. I'm learning a lot. Sorry.
0: <laughs> it, what I'm looking at, Iron Man 3 is not spelled out. It's just the number three.
1: Oh. All right. Well, I'm on IMDb.
0: Oh. Weird. Um, <laughs> I think Gravity has it in the bag.
1: Out of the one film on the list I've seen, that's the best. Which is Gravity. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, yeah.
0: I mean, I've seen yeah. Iron Man 3, and I've seen Star Trek, and I've seen parts of Lone Ranger. I think Gravity just, I mean, it takes the special effects to... It's unlike anything I've ever seen. Yeah. And, I mean, with so many nominations that it has, it's clearly a, uh, a popular one among, you know, Academy voters. And no matter what you can say about the movie, you just can't deny that the visual effects are absolutely stunning. So I think we're going to say, and not only that, I mean, it's my, it's my favorite and it's, uh, and it's my prediction.
1: I'll back that up.
0: Best film editing, American hustle, captain Phillips, Dallas buyers club, gravity and 12 years a slave. You know, I'm actually shocked that the Wolf of wall street wasn't nominated. Hmm. Because that, to me, like, when I'm watching it, I'm just like, this is just so crazy, and I can't even imagine trying to sift through all that footage and condense it all and make it work. But, I mean, hmm, I don't know, What which do you think is, uh, which is your favorite?
1: Um, I think for editing, I would go with Captain Phillips.
0: Okay. Which you talked about um, earlier when we were discussing it. Do you is that your prediction as well, or is that your? Uh... Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. So Tim's going with Captain Phillips. I'm thinking either Twelve Years a Slave or Gravity is my is my prediction. One, either of those films. Um, you can't. Well, I'm Do I'm that. trying to boil it down. I'm talking it. I'm talking it through. All right. <laughs> I'm not going to leave it at two. Well, what are what are your why why um,
1: those two? Because Captain Phillips, I thought because of like the the pacing and the suspense that it builds. And...
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, with Gravity, because it kind of goes hand in hand with like the visual effects in the way that like there are these long takes, which you know were shot over multiple shots. Right. But they're all stitched together seamlessly. And also, I mean, you know, you talk about tension and like Gravity has yeah. that tension and it. it's such a tight film. It's just so well constructed. You know, I, I think I think that's my favorite. And and I'm going to say it's uh, it's my prediction as well.
1: Can, can I can I change my. You kind of can <laughs> you kind of you you sold me on Gravity, I think, for editing. Because I didn't really think about like, oh yeah, they are combining several shots to become one seamless shot, mm-hmm. like, although I wonder if that's something that like
0: it kind of goes in the visual effects category there's you know, there's some spill over there, but yeah,
1: and I don't know if it might be a little different nowadays, but I know that in the past, whenever somebody would do something kind of revolutionary with editing. The editors tended not to like like that. They're like, no, we're old editors. We do things Mm -hmm. our way. But I feel like at this point in time,
0: if it uh, my my guess is that if it's not Gravity, it it'll be Twelve Years a Slave.
1: My Um, guess is that if it's not Gravity, it'll be Captain Phillips.
0: Okay, so should I change (laughs) your answer to Gravity? Are you you going with Gravity? I'll go with Gravity. Okay, costume design. (laughs) This must be thrilling for listeners. American Hustle. (laughs) The Grandmaster, The Great Gatsby, The Invisible Woman, and Twelve Years a Slave. This is wow. a this is a category that I can't really comment on.
1: Uh, we've only seen two, right? Did you see The Great Gatsby?
0: No, I all we right, had so. we had it at uh, Amy's, so I saw some of it, but I never sat down and watched it all the way through. I should have, but I uh, I didn't.
1: Of the of the two, I'd go with Twelve Years a Slave. Yeah,
0: I agree. So why don't we say why don't we why don't we throw our hat in the ring and say twelve years a slave then? I'm down. So far we're we're all we're together on things here. Makeup and hairstyle. Only three nominees. Dallas Buyers Club, Jackass presents Bad Grandpa, and the Lone Ranger.
1: I don't know enough about the Lone Ranger to understand why it was up, but I definitely understand why Dallas Buyers Club and Bad Grandpa are up. hmm I mean I haven't seen Bad Grandpa. I don't want to say Bad Grandpa. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing it. Um, the uh, I mean, like on the trailers and stuff, the makeup looked impressive. But I mean, there's been other old age makeup out there that, yeah, has also worked.
0: I'm I'm gonna go Dallas Buyers Club on this. I think uh, we discussed earlier in in the show about how the the total budget for the for the makeup was about $235 or something outrageous like that. And I think just like the added transformation of, uh, the Matthew McConaughey and Jared Leto, I think, uh, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Dallas buyers club.
1: Uh, I'm going to go with that grandpa. Okay. I like how one of the names, uh, for the makeup of the lone Rangers, Joel Harlow. I know. I saw that
0: (laughs) cinematography, the grandmaster gravity. Inside Llewellyn Davis, Nebraska, and Prisoners. Um, Again, a category that I've only seen two films. You've seen Inside Llewellyn Davis.
1: I have. And it's a beautifully shot film. But I don't think that that would win. And it's amusing that Inside Llewellyn Davis is a Coen Brothers film, which is up for best cinematography. And the film Prisoners is up for best cinematography, and it was but, shot by Roger Deakins. Which is their
0: usual cinematographer, right. but not the cinematographer on Inside the Well* and Davis.
1: Now, I've heard wonderful things about The Grandmaster, but I have not seen it. I haven't even seen any stills from it, to judge it visually. I uh, know it showed up on a lot of like end-of-the-year lists and everything, but uh, I never got around to watching it. It's one of those ones where... We here in upstate New York would have to download it probably. Or maybe it was at Spectrum, I don't know.
0: Alright, so I mean I, I'm picking between Gravity and Nebraska. Um kind what of a tough choice. Gorgeous
1: They're, films.
0: Yeah, very different. Nebraska really is is shot phenomenally well. And in a way that really uh helps get the point of the story across in a way. Um Gravity is impressive for again its technical feats. And I almost, I'm tempted to say gravity again because I feel like it's such a uh, powerhouse that like, it could just end up sweeping a lot of the technical categories. Even though cinematography is kind of not so much a technical category as, you know, it kind of bleeds over into the artistic realm as well. But I, I think it's going to be gravity. That's my prediction.
1: I'm suddenly having a change of thought. I think um, I'm going to go with Inside Lewin Davis. Okay. Because my memory of it is like, oh, it's very, like, simple and everything. But the more I think back on it, the The more more impressive impressive visuals are in my mind. Yeah.
0: All right. Production design. American Hustle, Gravity, The Great Gatsby, Her, 12 Years a Slave.
1: Gravity. Why Gravity? Because the production was designed so well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But that's not what production design uh, is. Yeah. Production design, for those who don't know, is basically the uh, the look of the sets, the locations, the props—basically everything encompassing the art department.
1: Every piece of equipment that was used in those space stations, and mm-hmm. um, I mean the setting was phenomenal. Although that <laughs> might fall under visual effects more than uh, true. Um,
0: yeah, I wonder what how that comes into play. Like, does that fall under production design? Like, you know, the computer-generated you know the the design of of things like the look of that of all that stuff
1: I mean it would either be gravity or twelve years a slave but I mean i I haven't seen the great Gatsby, and it seems like if it was to win one it would be this one yeah
0: yeah, or maybe costume design. my personal favorite out of these would be her because it does such a good job of creating a world that we yeah. don't really explore too much of the world we're more in you know focused on this one person, but like it creates such a rich world
1: I'm gonna go with twelve years a slave because of uh i mean I'm no historian and I was not alive in the nineteenth century, but it it felt authentic
0: definitely so your your prediction is twelve years a slave i mean I'm tempted to go i'm I'm tempted to go along with you on that, but you know i'm i'm i' might I'm gonna go out on a limb and i'm gonna say her
1: I like how American hustle didn't even enter the conversation for us.
0: No, even though it is a period piece and stuff, it's a. Uh...
1: That was one of the problems with it that I had. Though there's so like it, there's so many uh, anachronisms mm-hmm. that like even if they were on purpose, it's like I don't want to say it was like a half-ass job, <laughs> but like they could have done a little more to like keep it in the in the moment.
0: Yeah. All right, so yeah. all right, now we're getting into the sound, um, sound mixing and sound editing. Do you know the the difference in classification between what it means between a sound mix and a sound edit?
1: I don't think I entirely do. What is it?
0: I believe and I'm not I'm not 100% sure on this. But my guess would be that sound editing is more about like the actual process of like taking sound effects and editing them to the the visuals of the of the movie. The sound mix would be taking the uh the dialogue the sound effects and the music and everything and mixing it all together so like the final output but yeah I mean I don't I don't really know for sure sound mixing we've got Captain Phillips Gravity The Hobbit Desolation of Smog Inside the Davis and Lone Survivor
1: I've never heard of Lone Survivor but here it is nominated for both sound uh categories Yeah what, both
0: sound categories What is it? I don't know. This okay. is the first time that I am uh Looking at it.
1: I'm going to go with Gravity.
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, I think Gravity's going to have it for both sound categories, yeah. actually. Um, because, I mean, that's a film that, like, basically the entire soundtrack is generated through post-production means. And it's used in such a way that it's very integral to the experience. I mean, sound always is integral to the experience. I mean, any time you said something in space, there's the, you know... We're going from the, the emptiness of space or, you know, and like the, the vacuum of it, and you're playing with that silence mm-hmm. with the hectic stuff that we're hearing inside the helmet and, you know, inside the everything else. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think sound mixing and sound editing are going to go to uh, Gravity for sure.
1: One thing, um, it's not nominated in either of these sound categories, but um, I would like to mention, just in passing, the great use of sound in Dallas Buyers Club. The ringing in his ear throughout mm. the film. Like, whenever he's, like, hitting a new low, sort of. Like, right, right. The sound kind of dips, and you've got this ringing. You know? I, I, you've seen All Is Lost? No. Okay, I knew it was that Amy's. It was I at Amy's, see didn't see it. Yeah. Uh, Peter Travers had sort of, like, a tongue-in-cheek he's the film critic for Rolling Stone Uh, he like posted a video online uh, fairly recently and uh, he was just making like snarky type comments about the Oscar nominations and he mentioned how neither Robert Redford nor Tom Hanks were nominated for best actor and he was like clearly like no actor can be on a boat this year or so or lost at sea this year and then Mm. but you know, he was kind of forgetting that DiCaprio had that scene in Wolf of Wall Street. But that's true. That wasn't necessarily like the thrust of the film, right? So, yeah. yeah. But anyway,
0: Leo's had luck with boat films in the past. Really? Not so what much. The... Not so much in relation to the Oscars, but. Um...
1: What what else at a boat? I'm I'm at a loss.
0: Oh shoot! You know, I was thinking of The Aviator. That's a plane. Never oh mind.
1: yeah, okay. Never yeah, mind. I can't think of any. Uh...
0: Um, Best Music Original Song. Which we've discussed. Yeah, um, yeah. I think both of our predictions is that it's going to be "Let It Go" from Frozen. Yep. Best original score: "The Book Thief" by John Williams, "Gravity" by Stephen Price, "Her" by William Butler and Owen Pallett, "Philomena" by Alexandre Desplat, and "Saving Mr. Banks" by Thomas Newman. I haven't seen "The Book Thief" or "Saving Mr. Banks," but you've you've seen all of them except for "The Book Thief." Yeah. What do you think? Who's got who's got the score this year?
1: Oh, it's tough. Listening to Philomena out of context was impressive, but next to Lost, it didn't seem like it should get original score.
0: Yeah, for those who don't maybe know, back in our Philomena episode, I made a comment about how parts of the Philomena score reminded me of the score to the television show Lost. They did a little comparison between them.
1: I really like the score to Gravity. Yeah. That's all I have to say about it. I really liked it. I'm going to go with Gravity, I guess.
0: Okay. It's hard. I mean, I... You know, the two scores that I haven't seen are by John Williams and Thomas Newman, two of the most respected and awarded film composers living today. So it's hard to kind of, like, predict against them. But, I mean, I can only really choose between the three that I have seen. My personal favorite... I'd probably go her. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say her. I'm gonna I'm gonna vote her. Maybe a mistake to actually predict that that's what's gonna win. But,
1: but in your in your heart, that's the winner.
0: But I you know I could see it happening. Yeah. Best animated short film. Best live action short film. Best documentary short subject. Best documentary feature. Best foreign language film. Have you seen any of these movies?
1: No. Oh, did you mention animated feature film?
0: An animated feature film, yeah. Have you seen any of those?
1: No. Is what's Kaze Tachinu? Is that the Miyazaki film?
0: Oh, is that the Wind Rises?
1: I don't. I don't know Japanese. Yeah. Yep. It so, is. Right, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It okay. is. Kaze Tachino, Yeah. The Wind Rises. That's Miyazaki.
1: Okay. So I, I've heard great things about that. I've heard better things about that than the other nominees that I'm reading. Although I've never heard of Ernest de Celestine.
0: Um, I actually have seen one of the short. Uh, animated films get a horse it was the short that showed in front of frozen and i didn't bring it up when i talked about frozen a couple episodes back but it's a great short it's a mickey mouse cartoon and it's cool because it's like the first time since i don't even know when where i feel like mickey mouse is actually like where mickey mouse belongs in an short animated film and it was, uh, it's a really, really great short. Captures the essence of classic Mickey Mouse cartoons in such a great way, but modernizes it and uh, brings it to a, a new audience. I, th- I thought it was uh, fantastic. But honestly, I mean, I can't comment on really any of these categories. Yeah. Um, you know, best animated feature, I would guess that Frozen would win, but I mean, that, I, I really have no idea.
1: I looked up what uh, Ernest de Celestine is, and it says, uh, the story of an unlikely friendship between a bear, Ernest, and a young mouse named Celestine. And it looks adorable. And the the stills from it, the, it looks like watercolor, it's, mm. uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to win.
0: So I I, I'm not going to make any predictions about any of these. It's a shame that like the, these are always the categories that, you know kind of i miss out on the most uh yeah. every year on the spectrum sometimes at least every year that i know of for the past like five or six years they they've done a uh show where you can see all of the uh animated shorts in one sitting and then another show where you can see all of the live action shorts in one sitting and i did that one year which was cool um
1: how, how much is it because i mean like some of them if you watch all the nominees that's like Half an hour or 40 minutes, maybe. <laughs> Depending on the length of each short. Yeah,
0: I think it was... Um, Not that I, you I paid for I can't quantity. Remember. I can't remember how, but... mi- how how much it was, but... Yeah. All right, we should move on to the uh, writing. Adapted screenplay. We've got Before Midnight. Captain Phillips. Philomena. 12 Years a Slave. The Wolf of Wall Street. The only one that I haven't seen is Before Midnight. Same here. But just... I don't know, based on, I guess, nothing. (laughs) I would guess that it's not going to (laughs) win. I I based that on, I guess, nothing. But I think my personal favorite would be The Wolf of Wall Street.
1: I want to agree with you, but I'm not going to. I'm going to go with uh, Philomena. Philomena. Yeah. Um, uh, so
0: you're that as your favorite yeah but not as your prediction
1: because that I mean I don't think it was like it's odd that it's up for best picture but I'm completely behind it for best adapted screenplay
0: hmm so do you think that's what's gonna win sure okay let's give let's Tim's kind of going with a dark horse here in the contention of of all the films
1: let's go with uh, the uh, um we'll have an Oscar winning Steve Coogan I'll be happy
0: I uh, you know like I say my favorite I think is Wolf of Wall Street but 12 Years a Slave that might be the winner I think
1: not a guilty white guys voting
0: that and I mean like it's based on a book that was written like a long time ago like
1: 1300 years ago or something
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) when was when was slavery so I mean I don't know that to me might indicate that it's gonna win but the Wolf of Wall Street is I don't know to me, it's a much more complicated thing to try to adapt into, like a screenplay. Because you have so many different things going on in it.
1: And they took... I haven't read the book, but my understanding is that it's written by somebody who like kind of acknowledges that he did bad things, but he's still like, look what I got away with. Whereas the film is a little more self-aware. Mm-hmm. Um, it does add to it, I guess. Um, so stick with film. I'm, I'm going to go much with mind. Wolf of Wall Street, All actually.
0: Right. You know, I I thought maybe 12 Years a Slave, but... I'm going to guess Wolf of Wall Street. Okay, original screenplay. American Hustle, Blue Jasmine, Dallas Buyers Club, Her, Nebraska.
1: I'm going with Blue Jasmine, which we we haven't talked about at all, and maybe we shouldn't talk about it because it's late and stuff, but you just watched it today. I, I
0: did I did get a chance to watch it today, because so, yeah, I, mean, I, uh, I wanted to be at least knowledgeable for uh, these predictions. Do
1: you have any thoughts on it? um aside from like this category yeah i
0: mean i thought the movie was great and i think uh it definitely i think has some chances in some of the other categories for sure and i mean screenplay is one of its stronger uh potential wins i mean i get further into the movie but i mean yeah we're kind of (laughs) running out of time here (laughs) but yeah i mean i think blue jasmine is a perfectly good choice for you know for original screenplay I mean, I might go with... uh, I mean, I think my favorite... I'm not talking about prediction, but I think my favorite is probably her. Just because it's unique out of those five picks. Because it... It is building its own world.
2: Mm.
0: And it's such a... uh, An original idea, I guess. It's a unique story. And like I kind of was talking about before, like you can tell that they were having a lot of fun, like exploring different ideas within this main concept. And yeah, I don't know.
1: I don't like when, um, like I know that it's no longer, uh, best original screenplay. It's screenplay written directly for the screen, but still I, when, when films based on true stories are nominated in that category, it mm-hmm. kind of irks me a little bit.
0: Yeah. in which we have American hustle Dallas buyers club,
1: which, are both, which are both take, Huge liberties with the real stories.
0: But just because it hasn't been written down before in a book form, it's an original
1: screenplay. But at the same time, Blue Jasmine wears its influences on its sleeve. Like, if a street Carnium Desire didn't exist, we might not have Blue Jasmine. Like, it takes a lot of elements from that story. Um, I mean,
0: what's an original... Like, you start splitting hairs where it's like, you know, any writer takes personal experiences and puts them into a screenplay mm. you're not going to say that that's adapted from real life you know yeah in the same way that like american hustle and dallas Buyers club you know you're taking other people's experiences and uh you know morphing them into another story mm. sometimes they take you know try to interpret events more literally than others but it's hard to split those hairs you know so i think that's why they're like if it's it's adapted if it's based on something that somebody else put into some kind of form before. But yeah, I mean um okay, so you're going Blue Jasmine. You think even with all the uh the controversy surrounding Woody Allen, you think people are still going to vote?
1: Um I think that uh, I think they'll do the right thing <laughs> I think they will vote for the art and not the artist
0: well I'm I'm gonna go with her I think you know Blue Jasmine I think definitely has a, a high chance but I'm gonna go with her
1: And even if Woody Allen did molest that little girl Spike Jones shot those puppies but whatever no one talks about that
0: I'd ask what you're talking about but yeah, it's bullshit. We have no time. Have no time. <laughs> um, Best Supporting Actress. All right, now we're getting into the meaty categories. Sally Hawkins from Blue Jasmine. Jennifer Lawrence from American Hustle. Lupita Nyong'o from 12 Years a Slave. Julia Roberts from August Osage County. And June Squibb from Nebraska.
1: I still haven't seen August Osage County.
0: Um, yeah, I've seen all of, all of these films.
1: Uh, I can't really speak for Julia Roberts. Um, not Jennifer Lawrence, not June Squibb. Mm-hmm. Both good performances. June Squibb's, I think, better than Jennifer Lawrence's. But yeah. again, it's weird to compare them.
0: <laughs> but even still, I think Jennifer Lawrence's is the weakest out of yeah. this bunch.
1: Uh, it comes down to Sally Hawkins and Lupita Nyong'o. Um, I'd say my favorite is Sally Hawkins, but I think uh, Ms. Nyong'o will win. Okay.
0: That, you know, I could definitely see her winning for sure. It's such a sympathetic character she's playing. Like, oh, uh, so hard to watch. And there's a lot
1: of levels to it. Yeah, and for sure. And there's different ways she acts with different characters. And...
0: You know, I think, like, I think I'm going to go with Julia Roberts as my, as my prediction. Kind of a kind of a weird one, just because I feel like August Osage County is kind of like flying under the radar. It's not like nominated in any of the other categories other than like the two acting.
1: Has she won an Oscar before?
0: She won for Aaron Brockovich. Okay. So
1: her cleavage won for (laughs) Aaron Brockovich.
0: They're called boobs, Ed. Or something. I don't remember. Um, it's been a long time since it, I've seen that movie yeah. and
1: I, I, didn't, I don't have fond memories of it it's like
0: 14 years ago at this point
1: um, you know I
0: think uh, Sally Hawkins was good yeah um, she definitely was but yeah I'm, I'm gonna go Julia Roberts I don't know why I think it's gonna be Julia Roberts but because
1: uh, it's been 14 years she's due
0: um, best supporting actor we've got Barkhad Abdi from Captain Phillips Bradley Cooper from American Hustle Michael Fassbender from 12 Years a Slave*, Jonah Hill from *The Wolf of Wall Street*, and Jared Leto from *Dallas Buyers Club*. Jordan
1: Catalano. That gets that he gets my vote.
0: You, that's your favorite and your prediction.
1: Yes, uh, my favorite is that gorgeous man.
0: <laughs> um, this is this is where things really get tough to to sort of figure out and predict.
1: Earlier you brought up Jonah Hill as your, uh, maybe not your favorite, but...
0: Definitely a strong contender. I think just because of the surprise that, like, wow, he's more than just, like, the dude from Superbad, (laughs) you know, and like, the Apatow movies. He held his own against Leonardo DiCaprio, who gave the performance of his life.
1: I wouldn't be upset if he won. I would be shocked if Bradley Cooper won
0: oh yeah yeah Bradley Cooper um, is definitely at the bottom of the list in my mind
1: uh Michael Fassbender I think it's like it depends on how you feel about that level not level the amount of acting one does in a performance I guess because it's so kind of over the top mm-hmm. I I would love it if uh, Barkhad Abdi won but I'm gonna have to go with Jordan Catalano <laughs> <laughs> hmm
0: You make a pretty... I mean, when you break it down like that, I mean, I can definitely see Jared Leto winning.
1: As you call him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm going to go Jonah Hill. All right. As my prediction, which is crazy. I never would have thought I would be predicting that Jonah Hill would be winning an Oscar for anything. Okay, best actress. Amy Adams in American Hustle. Kate Blanchett in Blue Jasmine, Sandra Bullock in Gravity, Judy Dench in Philomena, and Meryl Streep in August, Osage County. I think you can dismiss Amy Adams and Judy Dench from consideration.
1: But not from our hearts.
0: <laughs> Never from our
1: hearts. I would consider myself a fan of every single actress on this list. Yeah, yeah. But I'm with you on Amy Adams and Judy Dench not winning.
0: I think, like, I mean, the two films that you've seen... Uh, Blue Jasmine and Gravity I mean Cate Blanchett and Sandra Bullock were both really great and Cate Blanchett especially uh, given the choice between those two I think I I would go with Cate Blanchett
1: I would go with Sandra Bullock I think that they both deserve to win but if it came down to it I'd go with Sandra Bullock because it's she's like almost the whole film
0: that's true she is the one that carries the entire thing the whole the whole weight of the movie is on her shoulders. The whole gravity.
1: Just <laughs> weighing her down.
0: Um but you haven't seen Meryl Streep's performance not, in no. Augustosage County. And no. she really comes you know.
1: I'd like to somehow see it before the Oscars. It's unlikely, but I've got a few days.
0: It's at Amy's. Yeah, to me it's a it's a I don't know. But at the same time, like, Cate chat and Meryl Streep, their performances are almost kind of similar in the way that, like, they're both these people who are kind of, like, having a breakdown of some kind. So it could kind of split the vote, almost. Um, Okay, so you're you're predicting Sandra Bullock. You know, the safe bet, if you were a betting man, the safe bet would be Meryl Streep because of her history with, with winning awards. Yeah. All of them. Uh, man, you know... I can totally see Sandra Bullock winning, though. It's gravity.
1: amusing that the last time that Sandra Bullock uh, was up for an Oscar and won it, um, Meryl Streep was running against her, and remember they kissed, and then she made some reference to Meryl Streep as, like, her lesbian lover.
0: I don't remember that at all. It was,
1: she, because, like, all through the award season, they kept being at, they kept seeing each other because you know like everybody who's up for awards they go to like all the different like the The luncheons and all that um and there was some uh, award thing where they like kissed and it was just like a joke kiss and then like when she won the oscar like in her acceptance speech she she, like was thanking everybody and she's like i'd like to thank my lesbian lover meryl streep (laughs) and people who hadn't been paying attention to like the award season were like what 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 what?" (laughs) breaking news (laughs)
0: Um, man, this is a tough one. You know what? I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Sandra Bullock. Too. I'm gonna go Sandra Bullock. Too.
1: America's sweetheart.
0: I don't know. I just I feel like it's gonna it's gonna be that. All right, best actor: Christian Bale, American Hustle; Bruce Dern, Nebraska; Leonardo DiCaprio, The Wolf of Wall Street; Chiwetel Ejiofor. 12 Years a Slave Matthew McConaughey Dallas Buyers Club <laughs> sorry I butchered that name
1: I don't know um, yeah we talked about this earlier I don't DiCaprio McConaughey
0: yeah uh, I think it kind
1: 90s of 90s heart the battle of the 90s heart throbs.
0: <laughs> it kind of it, is, it really boils down to those two I think yeah um, even though I mean like you know 12 Years a Slave could could kind of sneak in there
1: I wouldn't be upset if it did
0: no I mean, it was it's a I mean I
1: wouldn't be upset if Christian Bale wanted to be upset that would be else, that would
0: be kind of like
1: fine. really you know And it was still a good performance, but it's not up to the rest of them. I'm going to say DiCaprio is my favorite. McConaughey will win.
0: You think think it's McConaughey's year?
1: 47 pounds.
0: Yeah.
1: And a mustache. (laughs) That's all. Yeah.
0: All right. So you're going Matthew McConaughey. I mean, either of these winning would, uh, I would be, I would be happy with.
1: Yeah. Not, I would be. I think I might be more happy if DiCaprio won, just because it's like, rarely do they give the award to like a great comic performance.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna go with Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm gonna make my right. prediction is that. Even though like, man, I you know, I think my favorite might be Matthew McConaughey. Honestly, I mean, it's tough. It's really hard yeah. to choose between the two.
1: We're comparing. But I'm gonna go. I'm gonna yeah. go with Leo,
0: Leo, just because I think enough people. He has enough friends in the industry who are kinda of, and he's never won and people could be like, you know, it's finally time to give him, you know, an award.
1: Wasn't even nominated for Titanic.
0: Yeah, that could
1: thirteen year old girls everywhere were Wait, what's that? writing petitions. It was some I think it was like a, a porno movie about like a vampire in in space. I don't know.
0: That that yeah, I mean I can understand why that wasn't nominated. <clears throat> okay. Best Director, David O. Russell for American Hustle, <laughs> Alfonso Cuaron, Gravity, Alexander Payne, Nebraska, Steve McQueen, 12 Years a Slave, and Martin Scorsese, Wolf of Wall Street.
1: I'm going with Alf. Alfie. Alfie Cuaron. You're you're thinking Alfonso? Yeah. I, you know, I, I uh... With the... He got the performance Mm -hmm, he balanced mm -hmm. all the visual effects i mean it is like and i think like
0: you have to understand that these categories are being voted on by the professionals in that in that category so like the best director is being decided are being voted on by directors yeah and i think like you know gravity is like such a well directed film it clearly has like has such a strong vision and it like presents it so clearly. I can definitely see a lot of people rallying behind it. But at the same time I think like the the only other real contender in my mind is Scorsese for Wolf of Wall Street. Until I saw Wolf of Wall Street I was like Alfonso Coron is gonna is gonna win. I could totally see Scorsese winning for it.
1: Again <laughs> He
0: had his one has given to him deservedly or not
1: for Departed. I haven't seen it.
0: You know, for the sake of making things interesting, I'm going to predict that Scorsese's going to win. Okay. Just, you know, I mean, I, though I I will say I would not be surprised at all if Alfonso Cuarón won. I, I, think, be I think that's the smarter
1: prediction. I wouldn't be surprised if Steve McQueen won.
0: Now here's the big daddy best picture American Hustle Captain Phillips Dallas Buyers Club Gravity Her Nebraska Philomena 12 years of slave Wolf of Wall Street
1: I think we can rule out American Hustle Captain Phillips and Philomena I think Dallas Buyers Club Her and Nebraska deserve to win
0: But I don't think... But I
1: think either Gravity, 12 Years a Slave, or The Wolf of Wall Street will win. Yeah, I agree. Gonna go with Gravity. You're going with Gravity. I'm definitely not going with 12 Years a Slave. I could easily see it winning. Mm -hmm. But Gravity or Wolf of Wall Street, just like the director thing, it comes down to those three. Yeah, no, it
0: really kind of feels that way. uh,
1: But I mean, like, that's... The director is the one who kind of pulls the whole thing together, so it makes sense that it would be the same... uh, Gravity's the only one of those three without a screenplay uh, yeah that's true nomination and usually huh it's tough but then again with nine nominees it also it's hard is to... it,
0: it, gravity also has i think it's tied with um american hustle for the most nom- nominations that's ridiculous yeah as of right now we're not <laughs> we're not predicting american hustle to win anything yeah <laughs> um which may be maybe folly because it it won at the golden globes it beat Wolf of Wall Street for best film comedic or musical or whatever the fuck the category is.
1: Well, that's that's the foreign press. This is this is Hollywood. That's true. This right here. This is Hollywood, <laughs> our podcast. And I say gravity.
0: Okay. You're guessing gravity. I'm gonna, you know, to make things interesting again. I'm gonna go Wolf of Wall Street. Yep. <sighs> As soon as I say it, like I don't think I, um, I doubt it. But you never know. You never know with these things. I feel like it. It could very well be. I mean, maybe it's just because I love the movie so much. Mm. Um, I love the movie. It's blinding. It's blinding my.
1: I can't wait to watch it again. My vision, but
0: yeah. All right, I'll stick with Wolf of Wall Street. Make it interesting. All right. So look, just quickly glancing over this list. I mean, our. Overall, I think our big picks are Gravity and Wolf of Wall Street for most of the awards that they're nominated for. Um, but yeah, I'd say overall, I mean, like, all of these films I think were, were, were really great. I think overall a really strong strong year for Oscar-nominated movies. But yeah, I think we're done. <laughs> I think we're done until uh, until next week. And we'll actually talk about the award ceremony um, and see how well we we were able to predict uh, what was going to win. Whew! It's quite a month. We crammed nine films in two four weeks.
1: I'm proud of us.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it was it was crazy. But uh, yeah, so next month we're gonna have a different theme. And we don't even know what movies we're going to watch. It's a mystery month. And I don't know if that's a weird cop-out of, of a theme or what, but um, basically the way we're going to play it is each week we're going to alternate between choosing films. Tim's going to choose a film first, and he's going to. we're going to watch it together, and we're not going to know... I won't know what the film is until Tim... I'll probably know. Until, I won't know what the <laughs> film is until Tim pushes play on the movie and then so i'm going in cold i don't know what i'm about to watch and then he'll just press play and then i'll go along for the for the ride and then the following week i'll choose a film um so for you listening along and maybe wanting to watch along we'll figure something out so that you
1: can watch it we'll we'll post on the facebook page um, when we watch it we'll say what film like the night we record we'll put a thing up saying like oh our next episode will be about yeah yeah. What have you?
0: So you know, I mean, we kind of had a plan for maybe what we'd want to do this month, but that kind of fell fell through a little bit because some things in the world didn't uh, pan out for it. But uh, maybe in April we'll get to that. But for now, yeah, we're gonna do. We're gonna take a little break from all of the the box office bombs and the Oscar <laughs> Best Picture nominees and do something. Do something, you know, mix it up a little bit. So we'll have four very different films, I'm sure. But all right. Uh, whew, it's quite an episode, quite a month. I'm excited to watch the Oscars. Um, for those of you listening, <coughs> Colin, if you want to post your predictions in the comments of, of this on the, Ravicon Collect- on the Ravicon Collective website or on the Facebook page, uh, go ahead and do that. Um, We'll talk to you next week about uh, how everything played out in Hollywood. Thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Talkin' Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. And we'll see you next time.
2: Strange. Life is strange. life is strange people come and people go, some move